Hello and welcome to another episode of the Break It Down for Brackens podcast. Today we are talking to Jenny, my wife, and Travis. They are going to recap their experience at the JFK 50 this past weekend. They both ran it. They both finished it. One had a great race. One had a tough race. We're going to hear what they have to share with us today. And we're live. Travis, Jenny, back on the podcast again. Just finished the JFK 50 miler. And I guess we're going to get all the updates, right? You Thus, are. Where do you want to start? Well, it's been a minute. First of all, cheers to my brother right here for a great year and us Thank both you. finishing the JFK 50. What, what kind of beer is that? Corona. It's Corona. So let's, let, let's, this is, this is an interesting topic. Let's Easy talk night. about Corona. Okay. So it's been a minute since we've talked to you. Uh, the last time we recorded was sometime in May. Whole world was shut down. Whole world has continued to be shut down. And I would argue that it's probably becoming more shut down. Every single one of our races were canceled this year, except for the JFK. So we ran every single race virtually. Uh, since we've last, uh, we've last reported on the podcast, we've just been putting in work, grinding, following coaches plan every weekend, getting out for our long runs, trying to find variety in the places that we go. Right. Yes. <laughs> do, do ultra runners always stay quiet about who their coaches is? Like it's a secret weapon. Is there anything you guys know about that? Um, I don't. Yeah. I don't either. I don't know. I'd like to give him props. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, for me, not being a coached ultra runner who's super successful like you guys, I never hear anybody drop the name of their coach, almost like, oh, I don't want you to have the same coach as me. Our coach is Dr. David Welch of Plant Powered Running and Plant Powered Nutrition. I have no problem dropping his name, and I will say this. I highly recommend getting a coach. I had no idea what a coach could do for my game until I had a coach. And as we talked about in the podcast earlier on this year, I had a couple of months where I didn't have a coach and I was kind of following your plan, Travis. Yes. And, and when I hired uh, Dr. Welsh, he pulled it all together for me. I can honestly say that my success yesterday, not just my success in finishing, but my success with my time yesterday was because I had a targeted plan with a coach who understood the way that I work, the way that I could perform. And he challenged me in very good ways. And when it came down to it, he knew that, I think he believed in me more than I believed in myself that I could finish this. I believe, I believe and everybody. And he put it together. Everybody believed in you more than you did. <laughs> <laughs> but the most, um, I think since we've last seen, uh, or last talked on the podcast, the most stressful thing by far has been COVID. Um, everything leading up to this race was we cannot get COVID. We cannot get sick. If we get sick, it could jeopardize everything that we're doing. And I don't want to sound shallow about it, but an entire year of training and sacrifice is a really scary thing to put on the line when the whole world is getting sick. Using well, a tough situation because me and Kevin still had to deal with people. Yeah, and let's talk about that. So your job, we know you, you are a steel worker. Yeah, 
You know, I, I deal with people on a daily basis that, I mean, you don't know how they're social distancing out of work, so you just got to hope that they're doing all the right things also. How many people are you in contact with in, on a, any given day? There's probably 100 employees there, but I mean, I'm, I'm not in direct in contact with all of them. And you're wearing protective equipment all day as well. For the most part, mm -hmm. if I'm painting. Mm -hmm. And masks. Yes. Yeah, so um, I have been fortunate enough to work from home since March. Um, that pretty much looks like it's going to be indefinite now. Um, at least I hope so. It's, I've gotten very used to settled in to being home. Um, but I, as the year wore on and the training got more and more intense, I started to develop this very serious phobia of getting sick. I actually got very, very sick tested multiple times for COVID. All of it came back negative. We believe it may have been COVID because I was so sick. I was down for a solid week. And when I say I'm down, not getting out of bed, severe throat infection um, in the middle of the summer. And it knocked me out so hard that it absolutely scared me. I, at that moment, knew if I ever get sick, then I could end up in the hospital or worse. And so it, that kind of started the phobia of don't go anywhere, don't get sick, don't jeopardize this, don't jeopardize the race, don't jeopardize the people around you. But yet I have you that I'm training with that I see once or twice a week. And then I have Kevin and both of you have to be in contact with the public. So leading up to this race, I think it culminated in this, this complete isolation um, so that we, we ensured that in the couple weeks leading to the race, we didn't get sick. So Kevin completely socially isolated himself from me and I 100% isolated myself from the world. And it, it sounds crazy, but, um, you know, I, it, it felt crazy. It, it felt lonely, but I didn't go anywhere for anything. Um, and it was just, it's a weird thing to be constantly worried that everything that you're working for could be sabotaged if you get sick or if you're exposed. Um, and, and that was a huge concern. And we actually didn't even know if this race was going to be able to happen. And that was right down to the wire. Yeah, it was. I, mean, I was still Friday at telling people we ain't ran this race yet. Yeah. There were reports that there was a lot of heat coming down on, on the race organization because the, the number of COVID cases are going up in Maryland and surrounding states. There were restrictions that have been put in place in surrounding states. And, and this race, I can tell you, has done a fantastic job at communicating with us, communicating a safety plan. But really, up until the last couple of days, all it would have taken was for permits to be pulled, uh, us not to be able to use the, the uh, Appalachian Trail, CNO, and that would have been over. And literally, it was two days before we ran the race. There was a whole lot of talk online that it was like, everybody stopped the madness. I felt so bad for the race directors who were planning everything to just simply not know if it was going to happen. There was a whole lot of negativity going on. There was a lot of negativity, which I thought was unfair. I think a lot of people don't understand what it's like to be a race director. I happen to be married to one, so and it's on a much smaller scale. Yeah. But he understands that everybody's going to complain. You're never going to make everybody happy. And right now, it's an unprecedented time. Um, so I could say this. This race did a great job with communication. They did a great job with the packet pickup. 
They did a great job with distancing everyone. They cut the waves. They actually created waves, three different waves of 250 people. There's a bunch of people that didn't show up or couldn't show up. Um, so all the protocols they put in place, I felt completely safe. I felt safe in a couple of times. And before each aid station, they had signs up, don't forget to pull your mask up. I mean, because sometimes I ran through there and I've, it took seeing that sign for me to put my mask back up. We, anytime we were in contact with other racers, with uh, aid stations, with other staff, anybody, any spectators, we had to have our masks on. And what was really great is the race organizations and an ultra provided these terrific JFK 50 buffs that made it super easy for us to just pull it up over our faces. Yeah. So um, I just had to talk about that because I want to give them a shout out because they did such a fantastic job. Yet a lot of people aren't happy. They wanted refunds. They wanted deferrals. Um, but this race organization donates a whole lot of their proceeds to charity. And it's, I personally understood those risks going into it when I registered on March 1st before the world shut down and um, accept that. And, and had I not been, had we not been able to race, I would have been just as happy letting those proceeds go to charity. It's, it's completely fair for others to feel different. Right. So, but they, they did do a good job. I agree as a spectator, everybody's wearing masks. So anytime a runner came near me, they pulled their mask up, even if I wasn't close to them. So it seemed like everybody's following the rules. Mm -hmm. What's next? Well, uh, what should we talk about? I mean, just just what happened leading up to this and how we've been doing? Yeah, um, Marine Corps Marathon, we did that virtual. Yeah, we've done um, a whole lot of races virtually. So since we last checked in, we finished the great virtual race across Tennessee, both of us, with all of our miles because we were putting those miles in anyway because of all of our training. Yeah. Um, and we did a number of virtual races. So I did the Virtual Army 10 Miler. I did the Freedoms Run Full Marathon, in which I PR'd my marathon by like 50 minutes, um, which is also a testament to our coaches' work with me. 55-0? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I am just, I, I ran it in just over four hours on a training pace, not even a race pace on a hilly course, but I, I do do better on hilly courses versus flat yeah. courses. Um, and, uh, and I was really happy that we were able to do that. We had a bunch of people from Bros and Bras come out and do it in the same day. Um, and we all kind of had a, a rallying party for everyone, socially distanced, and it was great. Um, also, I, um, I ran a, uh, the Marathon Training Academy has a, has a lot of really wonderful virtual races this year due to COVID. And there's one that they did called the Corona Lisa, and that was the challenge simply to run 100 miles by the end of the year. Well, I decided to use that as my medal. It's this really great medal of the painting of the Mona Lisa, only she's got a mask on. And, uh, and they, they give out the best medals. They're really, really sturdy and, and thick and nice. Um, but I decided to use that medal to commemorate running the year for the very first time in my whole life. I ran the year in miles, and in fact, I'm well over that. Um, I'm 2,275 miles just since January, and so I used that Corona Lisa medal for my um, uh, 100 times 20 plus 20 for my 2020, uh, hitting my 2020 goal in miles. Um, and. I think that's all that we ran. The last, the last marathon that we ran in training was Marine Corps, though, because yes. we had an A race this year, and that's obviously JFK 50. 
But the we Marine Corps was almost an A race too. It's always a special race. Yeah. How many how many years have you done the Marine Corps? This was the eighth time. Eighth time. Yes. That's incredible. That's pretty cool. I got to do it on my favorite course. <laughs> yeah. And, and tell me about your favorite course. Um, I did it on the first part of the JFK course mm-hmm. on the Appalachian Trail and finished up on the canal. Our favorite part of everything is trail. Every single thing that we've done in this last year has been trail. And in the last couple of months, where have we not been? Trails. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> because some of us didn't want to take a chance on getting hurt. <laughs> <laughs> a couple things. We wanted to make sure that uh, we had we had practiced on all parts of the JFK 50 course. And we did, except for the last eight and the first two and a half. Be- just simply because they're on busy roads. And plus we wanted to save something as a surprise for me. <laughs> That, sure. that fun surprise of the last eight miles. Um, but, um, but yeah, so that actually reminds me of something. Let's talk about your injuries and where you've been since we last talked. Yeah, my injury kind of created a problem with this with not doing trails, and I didn't want to do concrete. So we was stuck on the canal a lot. What was the injury again? Um, I've been having some issues with my hips going in and out. Then my shins would start Is hurting. That in, in and out? I'm not exactly for sure why they're rotated. That's what Doug, or structured elements tells me my hips get rotated. Then I put all the pressure on my shins. Then I start having bad shin splints. So that's been a persistent issue from um, pretty early on in this year. And when we first started training together last November, we were able to train together. We were primarily on trail together. We ran road together. We didn't always, I mean, we, we were not at the same pacing, right. but we were still able to stay together, especially on trail, because I was, I was learning a lot of the sections. Now I know them. <laughs> like you should. <laughs> they, they are like children to me. Um, so um, all the little segments that I did on the Appalachian Trail. But at a certain point, we could not run together anymore at all. Nope. And we completely stopped. We would go out on the weekends together. Um, we would even get together sometimes during the week for some of our difficult runs, but we would have to start together, and then we, we would run entirely separately. And in the meantime, you're getting treatment from structural elements in Hagerstown. Shout out to David and Doug, who yeah. have been very helpful to both of us. Without them guys, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have made it to the start line. They really are incredible. They're gurus. They, uh, it is well worth it. So we talked at the beginning of this episode, we talked about, you know, do ultra runners share who their coaches are? Never heard anybody not share, but I don't know if a lot of, a lot of folks have coaches. I'm not an elite runner by any means. Um, I'm an average runner. I'm a middle of the packer, but I, She's borderline elite. No, 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 no. But I got, I got a coach because I wanted to see how far I could go with, my training and how successful I could be. And so number one thing, I think it's advisable to get a coach. Number two, get yourself in a good rhythm of taking care of yourself and doing all of the accessory work that you need to do that's not running. So going to a place like Structural Elements, getting body work done, uh, whether it be massage, getting alignment, doing yoga, doing strength work, doing core work, all of those things are critical to, to remaining a strong runner and injury-free. And it's really frustrating when you're dealing with an injury, right? Because you've oh, been dealing with this 
Yeah, it's really frustrating because I would get better for a while, and soon as, as soon as I started picking my mileage back up, it, it would just come back. And it was really hard because we just didn't know what was going to happen as we got closer to race day. Right. And I think that this injury of yours started a couple of years ago, actually. I think it started, or last year, rather. It started with an ankle injury. Ankle injury. Where did you have that ankle injury? <laughs> when the switchbacks in on, Weaverton. On the Weaverton switchbacks where you rolled an ankle, had a yeah. very severe sprain. What was it? A grade three. A grade three sprain. Yes. And that has continued to um, plague you, and I think it caused misalignment issues. And that's where structural elements is coming into play because it's been so long standing that they're helping kind of recorrect the imbalances. Yeah, they're helping me get the mobility back that I've lost with the four back surgeries and they're just working on everything. And they and they also address things like, you know, the shoes that you're wearing. Yeah. You know, and how that can affect your gait and your balance. So but I wanna acknowledge that through most of this year when we've not been able to train together on some of the days that I've had the toughest days for myself, some of the highest mileage miles, the 28s, the 30s, that you have been on your bike next to me so that I don't have to do those things alone. And that has been wonderful. And we don't always speak. Sometimes I'm just in silence because, you know, I just have to do the work. Yeah, I know when you when you're wanting to talk and when you don't want to talk. And when I don't want to talk, it's usually when I'm about to get emotional and it's mm. just something I don't feel like doing. Like when mm. we're on the canal and I know I have a marathon ahead of me and I just, I'm over it. So I appreciate you being patient with me. My pleasure. <laughs> but it's been a challenge as we've gotten to the last couple of weeks of training because we can't do, we can't do road for you because that right. tears you up. And we can't really do trail because we're trying to be careful. So we've had to kind of compromise in both of those things. We've done a lot of canal. Yeah, I think I've literally run three times in the last month. And that was more of a run walk to try to figure out how I can do this and keep a 15-minute pace for the race. So obviously with having your training kind of come to a halt, tell me about where your mind was when you went into JFK yesterday morning. Um, questioning myself. I mean, I didn't know what what yesterday was going to bring, whether I was going to finish it or not, and I doubted myself the whole day. Is that typical? Because no. this is your fifth year doing J. No, this this was the hardest year for me. And that was because of the injury going the into the injury and the lack of training in the last month or so. And it it might have been more mental than physical. Mm -hmm. It was just I didn't know what kind of shape I was in. And you already know very well that ultra running is very yeah. much mental anyway. Yeah, I know I wasn't in the shape that I could have finished that race at a decent time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it was and it was a scary thing yesterday. I always had faith in you for the record that you could do it. Um, there was never a doubt in my mind because I knew that you had the mental grit um, because you had gone back four years of attempts. You you finished your first. Uh, your fourth attempt last year and all years before you put in that work on race day and got close but never quite there so i knew you had the mental fortitude to push and that you wouldn't quit they would have to take you off that course to, this year was more scary for me in the sense after finishing it last year this would have been a good time for me to walk away from the race knowing that i finally finished it instead of taking a chance on felon and then feeling like I have to go through this whole thing again to finish it again so I can walk away from that race. So why didn't finish. you walk away? 
Because I made a deal with the devil. <laughs> no doubt. I am the devil. Um, it would be great if Travis could talk about that a little bit more. Because uh, Travis has had to, you've had to put up a, a lot from me. Yeah, but it's been a lot of fun along the way. It's been a lot of fun along the way. Training gets serious sometimes. but I, I got to tell you that this training plan has given me purpose for the entire year. But the entire year has also been incredibly stressful. Um, it, I, I just simply lack the confidence in myself to know if I could do this. Uh, you can't fake it through a 50 miler. Mm. You can't. You, you're you're either in or you're out. And if you if you have something catastrophic that goes wrong, and anything can go wrong on race day, anything, any number of things can be off that could set your whole day off. You're out. And then that's an entire year riding on that one day. And so all of that was tangled up in my mind. And as we got closer to the race, um, when I started socially isolating, I got, I got deeper and deeper into my own head where I basically couldn't even acknowledge the level of fear that I had because it was so, it was just, it took over everything. I couldn't sleep. I was up no matter what I do, I would wake up every night in the middle of the night, um, and just doubts constant. I lived with a hum that was underneath the surface in my body. It was this constant hum of doubt. And it's like, are you going to be able to do this? You've put everything out there to the world to show them that you're, you're going you're gonna to be this ultra marathoner and you're going to run your first 50 miler and everything is riding on the possibility of failing. And I did not truly believe that I had the ability to do this until I was in the middle of the race yesterday. We all had faith in you. Well, did you I feel? Mean, did you ever feel that way when you did your first? Um, my first one, I, I just thought I was going to show up and do it because I could run marathons. I mean, I, I respect the distance now, and just because I did it last year, I mean that's that was last year. Mm-hmm. It doesn't guarantee you a finish. Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't. And so I think that it was probably hard on you to have a training partner who was going more and more into myself and pulling further and further and further away where I just was, it became so mental. And then I really started to focus on the reason why we agreed to this in the first place and what we're representing with you representing substance use and recovery and me representing those that support substance users and those who pass away or those who never get better or never go into recovery. And we had a very poignant day when we went to the Marine Corps Marathon Expo. Well, not the Expo. It was a drive-through. Marine Corps also did everything perfectly and kept everything safe. But we decided to visit Arlington Cemetery after that. And that was a very special day because we visited the grave of my fiance who died of opiate uh, prescription drug use. Um, in a treatment center, and we um, also visited uh, the Eternal Flame for John F. Kennedy. <laughs> and I was like, "But why is it 50 miles? Why though?" <laughs> but it was a special day because I think that brought everything home, and 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 it helped us remember our resolve yeah. in what we're doing. Yeah, that's the first time I had to ever visited cemetery. What'd you think? It was, it was really nice. I, I would like to go back when I had more time because I kind of got called into work. We had to cut it short. There were very few places that I've gone publicly since COVID, and that was one of them. And I was Arlington Cemetery. You know, Kevin spent his entire Army career serving in the old guard in Arlington Cemetery, and and all he did was 
honor those who had served um, daily with funerals. And so going back there, that place has always been special to me. I um, have always enjoyed the peacefulness of cemeteries. I actually like uh, battlefields very much. I like running through battlefields. And so I knew that it was going to be a, a really special place, but um, I was glad that you had a chance to see it. And I was really impressed by the level of security that they had in place there to keep us safe because oh, yeah. we were in an outdoor yes. venue. You know, they're, the world, I, we're talking right now without masks, um, which I'm comfortable with right now. But the world has, most people have adapted to a new normal, and that's just being careful everywhere you go. You have to. Mm-hmm. Um, down there, I mean, they had a screening thing we had to go through. Mm-hmm. They did before we could even yeah. get in there, and, and so it was really impressive. But, but yeah, that was, that was a big, I think that was a milestone. And then the next weekend, we ran the Marine Corps Marathon. Yes. You finished your eighth, and you ran yours on the Appalachian Trail in a wonderful section. You ran yours on a Saturday. Yeah. And I got to meet you so that I could cheer you on before you went from the Appalachian Trail over onto the CNO Canal. You met me at Weaverton. I met you at Weaverton. And then the next day, you rode your bike, and we started at Weaverton (laughs) and ran the entire CNO Canal section of the JFK 50. Um, and I'm glad I did that because mentally I needed to be prepared for that. I had run it in small sections before, but I had a point where we were just past NT that what we were just at the past lock 38 in Shepherdstown where I just started like weeping to myself. I was just crying. I was like, man, I don't want to keep going. I don't want to do this distance. I'm over it. Um, and you know, not all the days that we have training days are good days. I know I paint a picture like they are, but they're not all good days. But we got through that. Yeah, but you push through them. And when you're in races, you got to push through when you, when you don't want to be there. Yeah. You just don't quit because you're not feeling it. Nope. You, you, you definitely can't. Although I will say that races, actual live races, are so much easier. So it's been such a strange year. Every single race that we've had, except for Seneca Creek, our 50K in, in March, mm-hmm. every single race has been canceled. So you're getting used to mentally being alone. Unless you have a small group that you could go with. And so being in a race, I'd forgotten how much that changes your mindset. Um, And I got to say, yesterday in the the race, didn't bother me to be on that canal. So I think this is a good segue to talk about the race (laughs) and what happened yesterday. So who wants to go first? Travis, you go first. Sure. Um, The first 2.5 miles we started, it was a pretty good start. Um. The first mile I ran with Jenny because that's what I wanted to do. And then I just pulled back and let her go because, well, I just had to do that. But um, I got to the top, I think it was in 34 minutes, which was two minutes faster than last year. It, it was a pretty good start. So the, so the first two and a half miles are, well, first of all, let me backtrack a little bit. Because so many races have been canceled this year um, and so many people were worried about COVID, we had a bunch of people that didn't show up for the JFK 50. I believe it was 692 people total that raced. 693. 693. And then 640-something uh, who actually finished, something yeah. like that. So, um, but what we were blessed with were a whole lot of elites that came yeah. out. We had two of the Coconino Cowboys. It was two or three. Two. had Jared Hayes and mm-hmm. Sam Kirsch. Mm-hmm. The Coconino Cowboys? Yes. 
That's the group out of Flagstaff. Jim Walmsley, Jared Hazen, Tim Ferrix. Eric Sensman. Co- Co- <laughs> Cody Reed. Yeah, all these, the some of the best runners and yeah. trail runners. Well, three of them won JFK before. It, yeah, trail runners in the world. So before yesterday, the JFK record was set by Jim Walmsley. Yeah, it was 621. In 2017. The 521. And it was five, and it was five hours and 21 minutes. And so... Yes. Uh, well, who we called the the uh, uh, front runner who we thought could win. I thought it was going to be Jared Hazen. I thought it was going to be Jared Hazen as well because he trains with Walmsley. Obviously, he's out there with them. I call him the the mini Walmsley. <laughs> he, they kind of look alike. <laughs> but um, but but yesterday, so we had a few elites out there, Coconino Cowboys. We had a couple of the and David Goggins and David Goggins came out, which we were completely surprised about. He had already been out uh, to do the JFK 50 a couple of years ago when Travis was out there. Yeah. He was out there in the the snowy. Okay. No, not that year. He was out there in 2016. First year I'd done it. Okay. So uh, just to paint the picture, yesterday was an unseasonably nice day for November. Uh, the forecast called for a low of 44 and a high of 60. We wake up, go outside, and it's like 52, 53 yeah. degrees outside. So everything that we planned for what we were going to wear and just kind of the layering pieces that we were going to wear for the beginning of the race, we didn't need them. It was pleasant. Uh, it was overcast the entire day, so we didn't have the sun beating Mm-mm. down on us. So we go out there and we are pumped. Like it is going to be great weather. Some people were thinking that it was going to be a little bit too warm. Not this girl because I'm <laughs> always too cold. Now there are times that I, I like 70 degrees is too much, but up to 60, totally yeah. fine. It was completely good comfortable. So we get out there uh, to the race and there are three waves and the first wave is obviously the elites. Mm-hmm. And so we get to see some of the best runners in the entire world, particularly trail runners too, yeah. starting out. And, and they, it looked incredible. We only saw them for a second, but we knew it was going to be a good day because the weather was going to be good. And we knew there was a pretty good chance that Jim Walmsley's record was going to be broken. Yeah. It was going to get broken. Just no matter who did it. And it was broken. So it was broken by uh, Hayden Hawks. Yeah, he's from Utah. And he's from Utah. Um, and he broke it. His his time was 5 hours and 18 minutes. So Walmsley's record was 522. 21. 21. And, and the new record is 518. So we personally think that Jim Walmsley is going to come back out and try to beat it again probably, next year. He probably will. Yeah. He don't like his records getting broke. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was unseasonably warm. Uh, the, the wave starts were half hour apart, and everybody who does this race has 13 hours to finish. So Travis and I uh, were in wave two. They gave us a choice, all the runners that came out when you went to packet pickup, um, and I'm glad we went early because if you get there early enough, you get a choice between wave two and wave three. Well, obviously, we want to choose the earlier waves because it means that we're in the dark a lot less at the end of the race because you're going to be out there for hours and hours no matter what and so we chose wave two and it turns out all of our friends were in wave two as well so we got to see all of the people that we love and wish each other well and uh, and we took off and so the first section that you're talking about is from the starting point in boonesboro all the way up to South Mountain where we drop into the Appalachian Trail. So that's two and a half miles. We have 45 minutes to get there before the time cutoffs. And it's pretty much a hill. It's a, it's, it's, it's a mountain. It's a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> Do you find it a mountain? Yeah, it's a mountain. So um, 
So it's called South Mountain. It's South Mountain. Yeah. <laughs> we had driven it multiple times, but we had never uh, we had never run up it because I was just worried about the traffic the whole time we were training. And just also to paint a picture, going into this race, I talked when we were doing the Seneca Creek uh, 50K that I have issues with uh, high hamstring tendonitis. Um, so that has always plagued me. I have to be very careful that I don't overdo it and that I'm rehabbing it appropriately because once it flares up, it's there and it's not going away. Well, I was fine for training for a long time and I was seeing structural elements and they were really helping work it out, but it started rearing its ugly head in the last couple of weeks. And I don't know if that's because you go into taper and your body starts lying to you about what's happening and that you start feeling these little niggles and things that don't exist. But I started having some real concerns with my right high hamstring and nothing would relieve it. And in fact, I, and it, by the way, taper, I love I've never done a real formal taper. Um, and I know a lot of people hated it. We have had such high volume for so long that it felt great to do nothing. But in the taper, I was really worried about that. So every little run Jenny, that- your taper is some people's work week. It, it mm -hmm. is. Like the, the hardest work they do is your taper. <laughs> yeah. Truly is. Yeah. Truly is. I had shorter weeks where I was doing like 35 miles, sometimes a little bit more. It was like a normal person's, when you're not living an ultra life and oh. ultra training. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on, <laughs> Was your taper 35 miles? I don't even remember what no, we did. No, because you were doing like marathons every weekend for almost six weeks. I, I was. Plus an extra five miles on a Sunday. So you really do, you were doing 30 miles on a weekend. So during the week, you know, your Tuesday was whatever, and your Wednesday was whatever, and your Thursday was your hard day. On your third Thursday, you were doing like nine to twelve miles. So you're doing like I was. you're doing like fifty-five to sixty-five mile weeks. I was, but but that's down. Remember before I had a coach and I was doing seventy <laughs> to eighty mile weeks. Yeah, but your taper, your taper was still twenty-five miles. It was least. wonderful. <laughs> it was. I have to tell you, I, so I know least, that I sounds ridiculous. Like, I run like four miles a week. It, it was. <laughs> it was so glorious to wake up and see my schedule and know I'd only have to do. A 5K, four to five miles. Uh, my The best thing was Thursdays because Thursdays are the tough days where I really have to do speed work. And Thursdays, like instead of doing a steady state, uh, my coach had me doing a lot of steady state runs as we got close to JFK and I loved them. But instead of doing two by 30 minute steady state runs at a, at a seven RPE, which for me was around an eight minute mile. Um, RPE? Uh, uh, runner's perceived effort. So, so your exertion effort. So at a seven, um, I would have one 30 minute block. And then in the second week of taper, I had one 20 minute block and it was like glorious. I was, I just, I, it was, it was wonderful. And I allowed myself to rest. I became obsessive with resting and trying to sleep. And that's in the, in the last week, Kevin, that's the time when you were out of the house and your camping trip with your guys. And I could just totally just work during the day and rest. Now, the only problem is my work, I get really obsessive sometimes and I don't stop working until sometimes nine o'clock at night. And that can be a pretty regular occurrence and sitting down a lot. And that's not that's not very healthy, but I'm working from home and I have to create boundary spaces. But still, the taper felt so damn good. 
But the day before uh, the race on Friday, I had a shakeout run, just a 30 minute shakeout run. Coach said I could add some strides in there if my legs felt heavy. Um, I thought I was going to go into the shakeout run feeling fantastic because all the runs during the week felt really good. And I just was like, I am ready. Ta the, the shakeout run felt heavy and my right hamstring was hurting. And I, that really got into my head. I'm like, tomorrow I have to run 50 miles and this feels heavy. And if I can't even run 30 minutes, how the hell am I going to run 50? So this takes me to my part of the 2.5 miles going from the start up to South Mountain. Gun goes off, you and I start running. We start running immediately, we hit a little bit of an incline. You start mm. inclining right away. What was insane to me, and they say this, you have to trust your training, that everything that I felt the day before of heavy legs and uh, torn up hamstring, I felt nothing. My hamstring didn't hurt. I didn't feel exerted. I didn't feel winded. It was almost as if I was not even on a hill. And that was insane to me. And so I just felt comfortable. Perhaps it was just the adrenaline of starting the race and having everybody around me, but I just went with the pack and we stayed together. Like you said, mm -hmm. as long as we could until we broke apart. And then at a certain point on the Hills, I walked. If I felt any exertion in my legs in this first section, it makes absolutely no sense. If you've got 50 miles to do to yeah. go out and race. Oh, I agree. And I think that that's a lot of the tactics that a lot of people gave me advice before I did this, who had done JFK, mm -hmm. they were like, don't burn out your legs. Don't be a clown. Those first hills, there is absolutely no need to, to race up them because everybody you see racing up them, you're going to be passing later on. Yeah, definitely. And it, and it proved to be true. Yeah. So we get up to the top of South Mountain. I think I got up, I think I got up there in something like 29 minutes, which just conservative pacing. Mm -hmm. Um, and then what do we do after we get up to that top? Um, <laughs> That's where we drop into the Appalachian Trail. And how far is the Appalachian Trail? How far? How long are we on the Appalachian Trail for mm -hmm. that section? Thirteen point one miles. So we. Not, but there's two and two and a half miles of paved. It's mm -hmm. a fire road that goes. I don't. That ain't a mountain. I don't think is it. It's just a big hill. Mm -hmm. That goes up to. Is that Lambsnall? Yeah. Yeah. So. That, um, if you can really break this race up into three segments, I actually do it into four. The first one is that two and a half mile section from the starting line on the road up to South Mountain. The second section, South Mountain on the Appalachian Trail, which is our home. This is my comfort place. This is, I it can rock and roll in this section. Uh, Appalachian Trail, except for the two and a half mile section on the fire road. Some of it is runnable. Some of it is just straight up and it's just, it doesn't yeah. make sense to run it. Um, and then the third, the third section, actually third section is canal for a marathon. And fourth section is the hardball course for the last 8.7 miles, over 8.2 miles until the finish. So tell me about the Appalachian Trail. Well, soon once I got on the Appalachian Trail is when I knew I was going to have a hard day. Because with my injuries and stuff, as much as I love it, I couldn't run the downhills. So within that 13 miles or so, I, I came out of there with a pretty big deficit to have to try to make up. Were you, what was, so you couldn't run the downhills so that you would just walk them? Pretty much walking them, just trying to protect my shins from, to give myself a chance when I get out of the Appalachian trails. So essentially you walk the uphills, walk the downhills uh, and I, ran the flats. I was running more of the uphills this time because I knew I was already losing so much time. 
And how was the crowd when you were up on the Appalachian Trail, well, the, the runners around you? It was pretty good. And me going slow down the downhills, I was courteous to the people behind me. If they was right, right behind me, I would let them go around because I knew that that I, I was walking the downhills and I didn't want to hold the other runners up. So did you have any, uh, how was this compared to other years? I'm just curious because obviously we didn't, the field normally in a JFK, you have yeah. one wave start, all of the, the yeah. over a thousand runners start together. Yeah. Um, this year there was not the congestion on the Appalachian Trail. Every once in a while a runner would come up behind me and I would, I would get out of his way. But it's nothing like years in the past. So is so when you're on the Appalachian Trail, there are two segments of it. So there is South Mountain to Gatlin State mm-hmm. Park, and then there is Gatlin to Weaverton. Right. And so the two sections are quite different. And oh, quite. Yeah, I like the first section better. Me too. Something about Weaverton, I, I don't know if it's a man thing or not, but it seems like the, the whole time you were in Weaverton, it's a slight uphill. It feels like that sometimes. Yeah. So the, the first section feels like a net downhill. Um, there are some uphills, but it is the absolute joy of my life to run that section. If I could run it every day, I would love to do that section and go for an FKT at some point <laughs> in my life because, and it's such a small segment, That's okay. but it is just the most comfortable place. And so you dropped in, you had problems going downhill because of your, because of your injury. So you yes. obviously had to be way careful to save your legs for the canal. Yes. And did you feel okay by the time you hit the canal? No, I mean, I was already hurting pretty bad by then. We had a very different race day. <laughs> the two of us had very different race days. So I uh, just stated that I started my first two and a half miles, felt really great going up the mountain. I took a video of myself going up into the South Mountain because it is my home. I absolutely love it. And it's the, and it's the section we practice the most. I ran that section and the adjoining sections to that so many times in training that I knew every single nuance to that section. I knew every curve. I knew which way to run around the rocks. I knew areas that were a little bit more slippery that you had to be careful. I knew where you had to hop on the rocks. I knew everything. And so we jump in there. And the only thing on my mind is hold back. Don't do your usual pace. So in training pace where I always held back, I would run it in around two and a half hours, which is like an 11 something pace um, for that section. I had to hold back. Where I held back the most was in the second section from uh, going into Weaverton. Because there's a little bit more hills, and I just use yeah. that as, as an excuse to walk. I did hold back. I ended up running it 15 minutes slower than my pace in training, only because I had to save my legs. I'm not taking anything for granted in a 50-miler. And I had a terrific run. I talked to people on trail. I met people who had been doing uh, multiple decades of JFKs. I talked to people about advice. I met other first-timers. I had no problems passing people on trail. Everybody was respectful. Everybody was was in in, in good spirits, and we just had fun. Yeah. I have to say, my highlight of the Appalachian Trail part was seeing Dr. Mark at Gatlin. Dr. Mark was working at the aid station, and when you roll down there, so there's you're coming down on the monument, and you're coming in a downhill. So that last mile, I'm rocking every time I come down that last mile. It is super fast. 
and you roll in there and it's so fun to run across that field. And who's the first person I saw when I ran across that field yesterday? Dr. Mark. He's calling out, Jenny, what do you need? Do you need anything? And then the next thing he says is, don't go too fast and wear yourself out in the second section. And I was so glad he said that because that was everything I needed to hear to pull the reins back because I was having so much fun in that first section that I had almost forgotten. And I was, my pacing was, was a little fast. Right. Um, but yeah, what was it like when you saw Dr. Mark? Um. It was fun. We talked for a couple minutes. He walked out to the edge of the road with me. I mean, he, he knew I was hurting by then. He was like, just take your time and do what you can do. And Dr. Mark is your greatest supporter. Yeah. He has been yeah. there to support you every damn year yes. of the JFK, of every attempt that you have ever done. And he is the one that's like, Travis, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. I'm going to yeah. make sure of it. He if is I, your cheerleader. If I interrupt for a second, Dr. Mark Kukazella from the Two Rivers Treads. Store legend. Ran, yeah, he's a running legend. Yes. Running guru, barefoot. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Inspiration America, to all of us. Yeah, it, America's first minimalist shoe store is right. I just wanted to interrupt because many of the people listening to the podcast know who Dr. Mark is, but people listen to it from places that may not know who Dr. Mark is. True. So it's true. Dr. Mark Kukazella. Pretty famous. Try spelling Kukazella. Let me Google it. <laughs> Dr. Mark Gazella also has a whole lot of a lot of good advice for runners, and he's been on multiple podcasts. And I'm not just talking local podcasts; I'm talking the big podcasts, all the big running podcasts, Trail Runner Nation. He's been on he's multiple global. times. He's global. He's been on Marathon Training Academy podcast. He's he is in all of the running podcasts that I listen to. He has been a guest multiple times, and he's simply a legend. So he comes out and volunteers at the JFK 50 miler. And we see him rolling in. And how great does it feel? He knows your name. He, he's personally invested in you. He was tracking both you and I on the app yesterday. Yes. Um, super sweet man. Just loves his community. And he's the first person that texted me last night. He, yeah, just congratulations and um, sending us pictures. So that was my highlight as well. For sure, seeing Dr. Mark. Also, there was a RaceJoy app that we could use that tracked us completely, and you did not like it. No, I turned mine down so I couldn't hear too much. <laughs> so it was a live GPS uh, tracking app, the first year that they've used that at JFK. Yeah. And all of my friends could send me shout-outs while I was on trail. So I would get these random messages mm. from people and music, and it was great. Well, the biggest part I didn't like about it, from mile one, you was getting an every mile countdown to 50. <laughs> I, well, you, yeah, but you know what? In those countdowns, it was telling you what your split pace was, and it was telling you your approximate finishing time. Yeah, but it wasn't accurate. Is that what I was hearing? I hear people go by and their phones are like counting off. Yeah. Time. It was counting off time. Yeah. So yeah. this you probably is probably heard exactly... Culture Club, too. Yeah. I, didn't hear that. <laughs> I, heard, I had other music on mine, but that's... That app feature that you're talking about is exactly why I think I performed the way that I did because I knew I had a deficit to make up in the middle of my race if I wanted to meet a certain time. And I knew it because every time that race joy app would go off, I would know how much closer I was to inching down that, that deficit. It was awesome. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. So, so you get on the canal and you're not feeling good. No. What happened? Um, just hurting. What uh, was hurting? Everything. My feet, my legs, my knees. It, it was just, I was in a bad spot. Chain reaction. And I was like, I, I knew if I got the Antietam, I was 
planning on changing my shoes. Well, when you get to the bottom of Weaverton, so when you get to the bottom of Weaverton, you're 15.7 miles or yes. something like that in. Yeah. So tell me that you get to the bottom. First of all, did you get stuck by the train? No, I didn't, but I, I, did, didn't I did hear the train when I was coming down the switchbacks. I was like, why not? This is how this day is going. <laughs> the train, I, the train went by right after I came off the of switchbacks, by the way. And it was great. I didn't get stuck either. But, uh, so once you hit at Weaverton, how far is it from Weaverton on the CNO Canal, flat as a pancake, yeah. until you hit Antietam? 12.2 miles. Okay, so you have 12.2 miles, and you don't like that section. No, I hate that Why section. Why don't you like that section? It just seems like it's a it's a lonely spot because there's not much spectators. <laughs> but when I got, did get to Harper's Ferry, I seen Jack and Bacon. That kind of <laughs> broke it up a little bit. It did. There and there. By the way, there weren't many spectators allowed in this no. race anyway, because there are uh, because of the social distancing protocols oh. that the race had to. The race had to put these things in place to keep everybody safe. Everybody safe, and nobody questioned it. So mm. you could only have you couldn't have spectators at Weaverton, which usually there is a mile long of cars. Right. And I <laughs> knew what that was like because I followed you entirely last year. You couldn't have spectators really anywhere except for the Antietam Aqueduct stop which is that 27 mm -hmm. miles in and Taylor's landing, which is 11 miles past that and the finish. Right. And that's it. So you're going through a lot of no man's lands where you're not seeing a lot of people, but, um, but yeah, when we came up, um, on the canal, when I was on the canal immediately, I started my interval running mm -hmm. and I was doing five to one. So a couple of weeks ago, I was really looking at ways that I could survive the distance and really feel strong. And I decided to play with intervals because I had heard a couple of people who had done JFK make the suggestion, consider intervals on the canal. It'll break it up. It's like a treadmill. It goes on for so long. You'll feel better doing it. And so I talked to a friend of mine, Rachel, and she suggested that I do, or she said that she had done five to one, which is run five minutes and walk one minute. Okay, I can do anything for five minutes. And so I adopted this immediately. Um, and in training, I had great success with it. In training, I had one day where I was flying. I ran faster than I had run continuously doing intervals. Now, I didn't do that on this because I was being conservative. But when I was running, running comfortably, then I'd stop and walk for, for a minute. My walking pace was about a 13, 14 minute mile. I was walking fast. What were you doing running, walking? When I first started on the canal part, I just walked trying to gather my sense. Like, how are you going to overcome this? And then I just started trotting a little bit, and then I would just walk and run. And you're... I was actually probably walking more than I was running because every time I would try to run, I just those shoes didn't agree with me yesterday for some reason. Did you see a lot of other people uh, walking out there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We, we but need, it, it we was you bad because I just I wanted to go, but my body just was wasn't cooperating with me. And that's a frustrating long haul when you're first on that canal, and you're like, "Well, I have a marathon yeah. before I get off of the canal, and then I have over eight miles after that." Yeah, and um, it was like a for me complete clean up to twenty seven miles. It, it was just grueling. Yeah, then and that is where my mind goes back to Marine Corps Marathon that day that we were on the canal and I was halfway through and I was like, man, I don't want to do this anymore. This thing is like a treadmill. I really hate the canal. It hurts. And, and I, so I can, I can sort of imagine what it must've been like for you. Yeah. Were you afraid? Um, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't say afraid, 
but I, I was in a bad, bad time. I can remember looking at Steve, which was my handler, my brother-in-law. He's been there four years with me now. And I told him, I said, man, I want to quit. I've never wanted to quit this race before. That was when you hit Antietam? Yeah. I was sitting in the chair changing my shoes. I'm like, I don't have no more in it today. And I told him, I said, if I had one ounce of quit in me, I said, I would quit. Then I just finished tying my shoes and got up. I said, well, I'm going to go for as far as I can go. I said, I don't know if it's going to be the Shepherdstown or if it's going to be Mile 38. I'm just going to go until I can't go anymore. And you wouldn't quit? You, no. would, you would go until you're pulled from yeah. the course? Yeah, that's what I was telling. I was like, I don't know where it's going to be, but there's no way I'm going to finish this race today, but I'm going to go until I can't go anymore. That's a hard place to be in, brother. Yeah, but for some reason, as I left there, I started walking again. I was like, man, I mean, having a fresh pair of shoes on your feet, those wonders for you and I got a little rejuvenated then I started running looking at my watch I'm like well I made up a couple minutes this mile then by the time I got to mile 38 I made up the deficit that I created but it was pretty it was pretty fun at that point I think you you think you create mental mind games with yourself when you're going that far on on that type of distance so mm -hmm. the the trail we knew was going to be fun for us yeah, and, I mean we're comfortable with that but the canal is a whole different ball game and Ryan and Sarah, I seen them down around Shepherdstown. They gave me a pep talk, mm -hmm. walk with me a little bit. I seen my friend Marty. He was there taking pictures. So I got to see a couple of people then. It was a little different from that point on. And I heard from people before I did this race, and of course I'm going into it completely blind, even though I had run every section in training. That means nothing because I've not done it in the race. Mm -hmm. So I have no idea what it's going to be like. And I had heard a lot of people saying, once you get through that Antietam, you start just counting down the miles. And some people don't have a mm -hmm. problem with that second half that you're on the, that canal before you hit dam four. I usually treat that part of the section as not looking at it as 26 miles as I look at it as every four miles there's an aid station. Get to the next aid station. That was one of the best pieces of advice that you gave to me when we were training on really long days. I'll, I'll, for, uh, I'll never forget the day that we did, uh, I think, 28 miles yeah. where uh, we were just... We actually stopped every four miles. We stopped every four miles to, to get through and just this is treat this like an aid station. What would you do in an aid station? And that was very beneficial for me. Um so I, I should have thought of it that way yesterday, but I didn't really. So when I came, when I hit the canal, my main concern was every time I had done the transition from the Appalachian Trail to the canal in training, my legs hurt, my hamstring hurt because mm -hmm. I had either had too much fun on the Appalachian Trail or I just, I mentally, I just didn't feel like being on the canal. I don't like that flat. Mm -hmm. And, and so what I did in training in the last couple of months is every one of my speed work days I did on the canal because we don't have a track close mm -hmm. to us. We, do, we, we don't have the luxury of a track. So you go to the next best thing and you're like, well, where can I actually get some flat speed miles in mm -hmm. where I can, you know, be useful. It's not a hill work day. It's a speed work day. Mm -hmm. So I, every Tuesdays and uh, Thursdays, I would go to the canal and I would run that section from Harper's Ferry bridge to Weaverton and beyond. And so I was so used to that. And every time I do that, and every time I ran a really hard tempo day, I would mentally encode it and go, okay, when you're out here and you don't feel like being on this canal because you're, you're tired, yeah. you can mentally go back to that day. Remember when you were running sub eights over here, remember when you thought you couldn't do it, but you did it. Well, now all you have to do is run a comfortable pace. Yeah. You can do this. And that really helped me. And so the way that I was looking at the canal yesterday was, 
uh, the segment into Antietam and then the segment into Taylor's Landing. I wasn't looking at it as the aid stations because for me, what I dreaded the most was going in here and just being like, I'm on a treadmill, this is gonna suck and I'm gonna dread it and I'm gonna feel like I don't wanna do it anymore. That didn't happen at all during the race. And Mm. the reason it didn't happen is because the ultra community, first of all, JFK community, I've never seen anything like it. I've I've experienced ultra communities before where they are the most accepting people. They've all got a little bit of a screw loose because (laughs) otherwise, why would we do this? But I was introduced into the JFK 50 group on Facebook and these folks are fantastic. They're sharing things with each other. They're, they're supporting each other. They're basically giving each other virtual high fives. There were a couple haters on there. They were the people who couldn't do the raise were, were salty because they weren't getting refunds. We understand that, but you also understand if you know JFK at all, you know, you're not going to get a refund for anything because they, they give a lot of their stuff to charity. Mm. So I cut out that noise and embrace the people who were on there. So I tried to get involved a little bit in that community to kind of get to know some of these people. Who are the people I'm gonna be out on course with? And I did things like shared our why. And and I asked people to give me their why. Why are they running 50 miles? And I <laughs> adored that. Love these people pe- responded. Yeah, they didn't know me, but they shared deeply personal things crippling injuries and disabilities that they thought that they could never get past losses of loved ones parents uh, uh children with with uh disabilities and and why why they get out and still do it and i carried every single one of their stories in my heart and i didn't even know these people and so when i got to the canal i had just come off of the appalachian trail where i got to meet all these great people and i spent some great time just just eating up time getting to know people my friend chelsea was running her first jfk we got to spend an, a really nice section on the appalachian trail together um i uh, there was a, a group that we saw in training in from winchester and there was a member from that group Got to talk with him. At one point, I was sandwiched between two Boston marathoners who were qualifiers this year. I'm like, I'm in the wrong field. (laughs) Um, But it was wonderful. So by the time I hit the canal, right away in my mind is, how are my legs going to feel? Did I screw it up? Because it's going to be a long day because I'm only 15.7 miles in. That's nothing. Mm -hmm. And I know... 15 used to be my threshold. I couldn't go beyond running 15 miles. It was the worst thing in the world. So I, it was really in my head. So I started running and I started feeling a little out of breath. So I'm like, okay, Jenny, catch your breath, slow down and try to do a little better. And then I started seeing the same people. As I started doing my intervals, I started leapfrogging people. They would do their intervals. And then we, I would leapfrog them and then they would, they would stop to walk and then, or, or start to run again. And then they would leapfrog me. And, and I met a couple of people that way. And so, um, we, the first milestone was getting into the Harper's Ferry bridge, which is about two and a half miles in that section from Weaverton Harper's Ferry. I, I, I was running it every Tuesday and Thursday, so I could do it in my sleep, right. but, uh, saw a whole bunch of people at the Harper's Ferry bridge that just acquaintances, folks cheering, the hurt crew was there. Uh, Paul, their, their folks, by the way, are the most supportive people when it comes to ultra races. They all rally around each mm-hmm. other. I saw my folks out there um, and that helped, okay? Mm-hmm. Immediately after that, I'm like, okay, 
Now I'm going into no man's land. No man's land for me actually starts after you get out of Harper's Ferry, you're past the Maryland Heights area, and then you start going into the woods and mm -hmm. you now know that you're literally going to see, see nobody. Right. Um, and I had done that many times. I'd done that when I trained for the Freedom's Run full marathon because it's on that same section of the course. And so um, as I'm running, uh, one of the guys that I'm leapfrogging with, I just got to talking with. As I passed runners on the trail yesterday, I'd ask him, how you doing today? Is this your first, yeah. uh, you know, how are you feeling? And that would usually a spark, spark a conversation. And I met this man who was a wonderful, he became a friend on the course and he became like a trail angel. And we ran, we were both running five ones for our intervals. And so he had had, he had picked up a guy earlier on who fell back. And so he and I started running and talking together. I learned that he is, uh, he lives in Maryland. He's a coach, um, that he started a, an organization to help train new runners who have become marathoners. And I'm like, well, that sounds a lot like Rose and Bras, um, that, that I have, you know, that's our organization. And we swapped stories and we stayed together until Antietam. Cool. And that man helped me get over that initial hump of, I've hit this transition to canal. I hurt. This sucks. I was able to make it to the to Antietam and he literally almost carried me. And we get to Antietam and we part ways. I gave him a little bit of a hug. I was so grateful for him. And then I moved on. And by the way, I think... I think it was his 14th JFK. Oh, wow. So this was this right. was somebody who had a lot of experience and was willing to share. And by the way, every single person who was a veteran was not I'm old school, I don't want to talk to the newbies, you're right. just, you know, fresh meat. Every one of them, every one of them was willing to share, was willing to talk was supportive, was saying congratulations, you're doing great, keep mm -hmm. going. Everybody you passed was happy to say good job i agree uh, so so did you find anybody like that on your journey um, i talked to a couple people what did did, um, did you did you stay together or? no i was probably 95 percent of the day i was probably by myself it, it wasn't a bad thing i seen some people towards the end that was kind of struggling and i would ask them if they're okay we just tried to get to the end. There's certainly a, a section where you start see, seeing people start to struggle. And yeah. I would say for me, it was between um, Snyder's and Taylor's Landing. 38 is a big spot where I see a lot of people struggling. A lot of people going into their first JFK are probably like me. Maybe they've only run a marathon or maybe they're like me. My, my longest distance was Seneca Creek, which is 32 and a half miles. And then you hit that, that point after that and you're like, oh God, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if I could do this. Right. At and, that point, it's all about what you have on the inside pretty much. And it's about nutrition. Yeah. I didn't do so well in that. What happened? I don't know. I just wasn't feeling good. Just what I normally use, spring energy, it just wasn't settling on my stomach too well. Mm -hmm. So I had quite a calorie deficit yesterday. And that's an area where I completely differed as well. My nutrition fueling nutrition was on point. I woke up, had a spring um, energy 300 calorie pack, which is an oatmeal thing that's very easily digestible. I took a video of it when I'm in my <laughs> robe, laying in bed and petting my cat, uh, drinking a coffee and having that. 
I, I made it made a point to have that and be done eating it two hours before the race. And then I carry spring energy um, for my nutrition as well as salt sticks and um, Enduralites and um, just just to keep up my nutrition along the way. And I kept it up religiously. The night before our coach sent me a message saying, you, this is how much water you want to drink before the race. On your way to the race, this is how much you want to get in the first 45 minutes. Do not skimp on your nutrition. If you do, it's going to be way harder to come back and come back from a deficit. So I heeded those words entirely. And I did what I did in training. And all the practice that I did, I... I really had a hard time dialing in how often I wanted to take fueling, yeah. but in the end, it was 45, every 45 minutes, and that worked perfectly for me. It worked great for me in Freedom's Run, and yesterday was a day like Freedom's Run, so I'm sorry you didn't in every oh, way have the well, opposite. Oh, that's what I don't mind. Every, every run ain't going to be a good run. Mm -hmm. It's just what you do to finish. Well, and sometimes what helps you finish is the rallying of the crowds. And so you're used to the regular JFK where you have a lot more spectators. Yeah. And so when we get into Antietam, it seemed like it was similar to what it was last year when I was following you in Antietam. There were a lot of people there. All along the sides of the roads are people who are there and they're cheering you in. And it's almost like you're coming into a finisher shoot. Mm -hmm. And I came in, immediately saw my people. Um, and... That's where you've seen your mom and dad, isn't it? And it's where I saw my mom and dad, yeah. And my people, my people could not have supported me better yesterday. Mm. I was overwhelmed by the amount of people who came out to cheer me on, sending me virtual cheers through the app, sending me messages. Everybody, you know you have good people around you when they want you to succeed. They're not waiting on you to fail. And my people wanted me to succeed. And they rallied. And I, ah, so proud. And... And so we came into Antietam and I had a, I had a big crowd and that was, that was wonderful. And people were still taking the safety protocols. And the best thing was, yes, seeing my family, my mom and dad, my mom is disabled. She cannot walk. And the concern was, uh, my dad told me the day before, Hey Jen, I'd love to come out and see you, but I don't think mom's going to be able to come because she just can't get around. Totally understandable. When I described where Antietam was, that he had been to that spot. Mm. Maybe he didn't know it is Antietam. It's the campground on the mm. CNO, uh, uh, just a couple miles up from Shepherdstown. I said, you know, there's a spot where you can park your car and maybe mom can sit in the car. And that would be great if she can at least sit in the car. So when I get there, much to my surprise, my mom is not in the car. She's on the canal and she's in her chair. And I, I came running in there and I yelled, that's my mom and dad shouted. That's my mom and dad. And when I said that crowd is like, yeah, and they're just cheering. And I magic magic happens with these people who come out to see you because I firmly believe that we don't run any of these 50 on our own. We run 50 with carrying the people who are there supporting us and they carry us. Yeah. And that, that is so incredible. So you saw your brother-in-law yeah, and, um, and I've Marty. Seen my brother -in -law, Marty and Sarah Amber and um, Jamie. Jamie. I've seen them. Yeah, we saw we saw some friends that came in and they were kind of they 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 were running to the end of the of the the aid station and just seeing us off and it was really great. Um, I when I saw Sarah and Ryan, it was so awesome because they're you know, Sarah Hotter and her boyfriend Ryan also 
local and national <laughs> legends in ultra running, 100 milers. And um, they come out to support you every single year. And yes. when I saw them, it warmed my heart to see them. I could not have been happier to see them. These people who are these incredible ultra runners who do these distances so far and beyond what I can ever imagine, they came out to support us. Yes. Humble. Yes. And so saw them, saw your friend Marty, who had never seen me before in person. I hear shouting out my name. He's there with his wife and they're taking, he's taking pictures. Just amazing, amazing support. And so that took me through that section, but I wasn't prepared. I always thought when we talked that that no man's land was that first section. I had, I had run this second section going up to Snyder's and Taylor's mm. Landing many, many times. But I wasn't prepared for that to be a no man's land for my mind. And it was. And But I had changed my shoes. Did not intend on changing my shoes, but I changed my shoes to my carbon shoes and I, I my new balances, which are amazing. I can agree <laughs> and, with that. And, and they were what I used in, in training quite a bit on my speed work. And I knew I wasn't going to be doing any speed work, but I also knew they gave me wings. And so uh, just changing your shoes felt a little bit better. Some people are fine not doing it. I felt great changing my shoes. And so in my second half, getting through that no man's land, I just picked it up. Kevin, I think you even noticed there was a, a change in pace. Well, I was, um, even though you weren't racing, I was pitting you against other horses out there in a horse race. And I would, because I rode my bike in the opposite direction, I knew from where I set her chair how many miles from that spot you would be. So if I came across one person, I'm like, okay, here's Mario. He's at mile, I am one mile into mine ride, so he's at one mile mark. However soon I see Jenny would be two and a half, three miles ahead. Like, oh, Mario's three miles ahead of you, that sort of thing. But then there were, there were other targets that I kind of set, and I was like, well, that person looks weak. I think Jenny's going to catch that person in the next 10 miles, and I was kind of wagering my own bets against that. What was it like from your perspective watching the race? I didn't watch the race. It was all about you. I didn't watch any of it, honestly. <laughs> like, I didn't see the leaders. Um, the fastest person I saw, I knew it was Mario. And I had, coincidentally just kind of caught him as he was transitioning through different um, checkpoints that you had me sitting at. Um, because... I would park at a location like uh, the bottom of Weaverton Cliffs. Um, that one, I, I beat you there with a significant amount of time. So I rode down to Harper's Ferry on my bicycle, met up with Jack and Bacon and cheered there. That's when I saw the people who were the leaders of your wave, like Mario, the guy on Team Nova, and the guy in the green shirt. I don't know who he was. But they stayed in that order almost the entire time I saw them. So then I could ride backwards to when I caught you, which is when I would see Jason, Inga, and Chelsea. Um, so I was kind of able to travel along with you guys. And um, what was funny was all the runners I passed because of my big, obnoxiously bright orange helmet, they recognized me clearly because I passed them all five times. I did like five ride backs. Um, so it was nice to watch, but it wasn't... It was more about getting you there, making sure you had all of the amenities that you wanted in your support areas, you know, and then they like cheering and then catching up with bros, like saw Amber and Fiona and Janice. Um, and there were people out there I didn't even see, like Jamie and um, Carmen was out there at some point, Maxine. So 
for me, it was more about being part of the community that cheered. You know, like you mentioned off, off, uh, off mic, um, you saw the same spectators too. So at, at one point, you were set up beside the same other team. There's another team that was running. You were set up beside them two times. And they came in either right before you or right after you. So it was neat how all that kind of flowed together. But then, in the end, it was just, I guess I was kind of cheating a little bit because I was able to ride the course instead of just being a spectator that sat in a chair and waited and waited and waited. I was able to go out and interact with the But course. you were not pacing anybody. Let's be clear on that. I was on a bicycle. How can yeah. I pace anybody? No, no, you were going in the opposite direction. You would... You would go back to see how far we were out, and then you would go back and then wait at the next at the at, at Taylor's, and or wait at Antietam. As a matter of fact about it, I carried a twenty pound a twenty pound backpack with a chair strapped to the backpack for three of those rides. So I was actually out there working out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if anybody has a problem with that, they can come at me. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, email, they don't. They, they don't allow pacers on my those. My new email is, F, is a gfy at gmail.com. <laughs> It was, uh, it's, it's interesting to hear from your perspective because from my perspective, I had chapters of people that I saw on the canal. I had chapters of people I saw throughout the whole race. I had that first little section where I was leapfrogging the same people and I'd see them. And the second section after Antietam, I had other people I was leapfrogging. And then at a certain point, I just started, we started, the miles started getting higher and I felt so strong. I felt strong in every single mile of this race. I never had a point where I bonked. I never had a point where I where I felt weak, which had happened to me in almost every point in training after I hit 22, 24, 25 miles in my training. Never had that happen today, uh, yesterday. And so what happened is I started hitting those high miles, Snyder's Landing, Taylor's Landing. And then I started people's I started seeing some people suffering. For the most part, the people around me were doing the same things I was doing. They were soldiering on, doing intervals. Um, some of them would drop off, and, and I saw some really strong people. I saw one woman that I had interacted with in the group, and she was strong, and it was kind of really cool seeing her out there. Um, but, um, but I also saw some people suffering. I saw a woman who was running diagonally. Her body was diagonal right it, very close to Taylor's landing and I I told her I said you're doing great and she just grunted she was not well she needed mm. nutrition I offered people nutrition who I saw were taking a knee do you need salt do you need nutrition are you okay because we're all in this to help each other through this you're not out there alone nobody should be alone and it's a hard day for some people I've had hard races I've had plenty of hard races where I'm I'm bonking and I'm like somebody please save me and I know it's mm. I, there's nothing that can save you you were having a hard day um, but it was when I really started to see the effects of high mileage on people when I when I crossed my threshold of 32 and a half miles and I was like oh it's real now I have no idea what my body is gonna do and then I kept feeling better then I really got super religious with my nutrition and I wasn't gonna take anything for granted but I hit a certain point where I just started passing people because I felt so good because I didn't have that bonk and I didn't have the wane in energy I was able to stay steady you know, I went faster in the second half for sure, but I wasn't speeding by any means. I was just steady. And I think that's what Kevin saw. And Kevin got a couple of, uh, I think they were great videos where I can see my form and it didn't falter. And constantly I'm checking my form. Don't roll your shoulders forward. Mm -hmm. Make sure your elbows are back. 
you know, allow yourself to glide. Don't overutilize your body in the wrong way where you start to feel your hamstrings because you're going to have a bad time. Um, and that, that gave me wings and it was a strange thing because it doesn't happen very often that I have a good experience in that. And I'll tell you why, because I'm not used to running ultras running. I've run a few 50 Ks, but running and I've run a, you know, ultra and, and Ragnar and I'm not going to be mentally challenging because you're sleep deprived. Mm-hmm. But usually when I'm having a hard time in a race, I'm the one getting past and it's usually a half marathon. And I watch the whole race go by me in a 50 miler, anything can happen. And so me being the one that was strong and kept going, I was like, what is this real life? This is not something that happens to me. And that's when I knew this is your training. These are all those tough days. These are all the days. Everything that we went through in the last year. And I started to visualize the good days and the bad days and the, the, the happy days and the hard days. And every Saturday we were out there just grinding and all the sacrifices and living the truly living an ultra lifestyle. Like if you were to spend a week in our schedules and you really got to experience it, what it is, I think if you're not used to it, it would be like, Whoa, we do this every week. Yeah. This is, this is what it takes. This is what it takes to be successful. And it's, and you gotta be all in. And if you're going to be lazy about it, it's just, just no, there's no way. And lazy is not the same thing as, as being smart and taking care of injuries, for mm-hmm. example. But um, that was a weird experience for me. It was the most amazing feeling to be able to feel strong. And when I saw the goddamn, <laughs> and I asked somebody, is this a goddamn? I was full of the dad jokes all day when I saw the chickens on the way up. I was like, it's where we keep our chickens. And the guy said this much bigger than my flock. Kevin thinks he said something else. And I was like, those chickens are saying flock your flock just all day long on fire, on fire with the jokes. But when I saw the goddamn damn for, <laughs> and I said, goddamn, every runner I passed, I said, how happy are you to see that goddamn?" <laughs> How and and some runners were new doing it, and they, this was their first time, so they didn't know the goddamn was when you get off. They knew it was damn four, but they didn't know there was an actual goddamn that you were gonna sing. <laughs> Such a dork. He was invited. Is this a goddamn? And by the way, in a lot of our courses that we ran, we would stop at damn, so every one of them was a goddamn. <laughs> and so, damn four, we came up no on exception, it. Huh? I was like. God damn, we're here. And I was so happy. And, and people all day long, they kept saying, spectators kept saying, you're still smiling. You seem so happy. I personally have a pet peeve. And this has happened to every damn race I've been at. If I'm a 5K <laughs> to 50 miler, I've never been to a 100 miler, but you know, I give those people a little bit of slack. Runners, be happy. You paid for this shit. You know, like, don't, I, it drives me absolutely up the wall to be at a race and be like, good job runner. And the runner is stone faced, doesn't even acknowledge, just keeps going forward. If you're hurting, I get that. Cause Travis, you know, plenty of times I didn't talk on our runs and I was mm-hmm. like, I can't do this. I can't do this. But you know what? I commit to being that runner who's happy. And if I'm obnoxious to you, move on, run ahead or fall behind. But I'm going to be somebody who's going to enjoy their time because you know what? I freaking earned that spot there. So 
Um, so that was my going in yesterday. All day long, people commented, you're still smiling. You're still good. I'm like, well, hell yeah. I'm happy to be. I am doing something I never thought I would ever do. And for the last year of my life, I have lived every single day in misery and fear. <laughs> Today is the day that I get to, to conquer that and face my demons and let it go. And by the way, I'm not try trying to live in fear every day. I hated that. I hate that about myself. I'm trying to work on that. But getting through that and pushing through and, per and, and being Travis strong, the way that you are when you're hurting in the first couple of miles of the, of the CNO and you keep going, that's how I wanted to be. And I felt like I had that. And I yeah. felt like you embodied that too. Just as you always do. Yeah. You didn't, you didn't need to yesterday, but you're strong. I didn't have any moments where I started crying. Because <laughs> how many times did you see me cry? Couple. And the other thing, let's let's acknowledge is bathrooms. You can talk about that. I could definitely talk about that because people want to know how do you use the bathroom in a fifty mile race? Do you have uh, porta potties that you can use? Um, you know, is 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 it going to be is it going to be awkward? Are you going to drop trow in front of people? Should I wear shorts where it's easier to go to the bathroom versus tights? All of these things go through your head, Travis. You were always my cover when we were on on trail. I go, Travis. And the minute you heard me, you would turn your back to me and you would watch out. Sometimes you would screw me over because somebody was coming and she'd be like, <laughs> and, and, the amount of, and the amount of times that I just went on trail, every flower that you ever see on trail is from me. <laughs> so I, so I worried about that in this race. Turns out it wasn't an issue at all. I was hydrating and I was fueling like crazy, but when I had to go, there happened to be a port potty and it was great and it was no issue whatsoever. They've done good with that. I think every every four miles I had a porta potty at the aid You're station. You're good. So my that was one of my greatest fears going into it and that and that wasn't a problem, you know. And then other than that, it's you know inevitably you're going to feel pain. You know you're going to get into a pain cave and it's how bad is that pain cave going to be? Because I feel pain caves every time I'm running to some degree. And when I'm doing my speed work, I definitely feel like the worst of it. But um, with yesterday, I had a pain level of about a five and it never got worse. That's crazy. It That's hurt. Worse. It was uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable and you're settled in, but your brain goes, all right, I'm going to be here for X amount of hours. I had, I had only run 32 and a half miles before this, but... I had also done my very first ultra was because I'm a trail runner was, was the miners lady eight hour endurance. So I ran eight hours straight. So I know I can run at least eight hours straight, even though in that, that case it was only a 50 K. So it's about like how bad, how, how bad are you going to let the pain affect you when you settle in? Because what are you going to do about it? If you stop, you're still going to feel it. So yeah. you might as well move forward. Just like, keep going. What do you do? Like you were in a pain cave from the beginning. Yeah, I just accepted it and kept going. Once I made the commitment to where I wasn't going to quit, I mean, I still felt it, but it didn't enter my mind anymore. At that time, I was like, okay, how am I going to get back on track? Make up all this time that I've lost. And that is where um, in all of our training, and I said this to you multiple times, I said, I don't know if I can do a 50 miler. And you'd always say, I think you can. And I said, no. You know what happens when things get hard for me. I don't quit, but I get into a funk where I'm in misery. And I wanted this whole year to be 
Travis Strong. I wanted to be have the the mental endurance to be able to push through when things got hard, and that was one of my greatest fears too. Going into this, am I going to hit that pain cave and not be able to recover and not and not be able to be Travis Strong? Am I just going to be miserable the whole time? And I found that that I didn't. I wasn't crying by any means, but I was able to to continue to move forward. Mm-hmm. I worried about you all day. I wondered where you were. I wanted you to know that I was okay so you wouldn't worry about me. But I knew I had seen you for four years prior, uh, or excuse me, I had followed your story and I knew that you wouldn't stop. I knew no matter what, if you were hurting, you would still be going forward. Yeah. Otherwise you wouldn't have started the race in the first place. You don't stop. Ever. Try not to. You're, it's, it's an amazing power that I have never seen in anyone, anybody before to your level just don't stop. They have to tear you from the course before you'll stop. So, <laughs> so let's, let's talk about timing. Um, when you were, let's say, how long did it take you to get to say Taylor's landing and then damn four? Like what, what um, was it? What were the hours looking like? I got to about 38 that's where I had just about made up my time, so it would have been probably around 10 hours and 12 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then when I got to Dan 4, you had to be there in 11.15. I was there right, that's where I had just made up my time. I was there right at 11.15. So you have 13 hours to finish the race. You're there at 11 hours, over 11 hours, and then you know you have to go over eight miles to get to the finish. So yeah. then it becomes a numbers game. What is your pacing going to look like to get to the finish? And you know normally how long it takes you to run eight miles. All of us do because yeah. that's we know our times. Yeah. Well, I did pretty good. It was about mile 46 where the second half of the race caught up with me a little bit, and I kind of fell behind again. And mile 46, you've been pulled from in a previous year. Yes. And that is, to me, the most painful, saddest place to be pulled from in the JFK huh. 50, yeah. 46 yeah. Pulled from the race. I made a statement to Steve. I was like, this whole, it feels all familiar to me. Yeah. And when you're cutting it that close, you, Travis loves to cut the JFK 50 as close as possible. He makes me crazy. He has <laughs> zero problem doing that. I, my mo- I mean, I get my money's worth. And, and I and I worried about cutoffs yesterday too, but I honestly had no concept of cutoffs because I didn't know, I didn't remember the times. I had a little sheet in my, my pants mm-hmm. But I didn't look at it. At one point, I asked somebody that I was running with because I met I met friends all along the way, and I was like, "Do you think we have to worry about cutoffs?" And they laughed, <laughs> and I was like, "It's a serious question. Do we have to worry about cutoffs? I don't I don't know because I didn't I don't know what's reasonable and what's not and and what your pacing is." So I, as I'm looking at the that app, and by the way, my phone died because the app uses too much juice. That's the only bad thing about it. It's probably not the best thing for a 50 miler and they recommend you carry a separate battery pack. I didn't feel like it. So I was like, whatever. Go faster. Go faster. <laughs> yeah. So, um, that means you'd be done faster, which means the battery wouldn't die. Oh yeah. yeah. I was like, what are you saying? <laughs> so, uh, so, uh, with 20 miles left to go in the race, I, this, this, this phone thing is telling me at what time I'm, I'm projected to finish. And at that point, I think it said I was projected to finish in 10 hours and 13 minutes. And I'm like, Oh, 20 miles. I can make up 13 minutes. I think I could go sub 10 on this. Cause I remember I had been conservative the whole day. I'd felt good, but at the same time I was conservative, but because I was using this strategy, 
I honestly don't think I could have done any better because had I not been conservative, I would have blown myself out at some point. And David said, if you have anything left, you can give it in the second half. Mm -hmm. So, um, or that's where you should put your energy. So I'm hearing this and I'm like, Travis would be proud of me if I did sub 10, because we'd always talked about that, that that would be great. And going into this, I had no time goals. I was like between a nine and a 10 uh, would be amazing. But honestly, I just hope to finish because I have no idea how I'm going to do. So each mile I started with my intervals going just a little bit faster, especially since I, since I changed my shoes and I started ticking off time. So each mile that 10, 13 went to 10, 11 or 10, 12, then 10, 11. And, then, and I had 20 miles to make this up. And I get off of dam four knowing I had eight miles to do. And I know exactly how long it takes me to run eight miles when I'm running a comfortable pace, when I'm running a speed pace. I know how long it takes me to run eight miles. And I started doing the math and I was like, oh my God, I've made up so much that I'm going to come well under 10. This is going to happen. But then you have the pressure of, I can't fall apart at the end because I would be disappointed that I gave too much, fell apart and then missed my time goal. Similar to you. And I know it's totally different. You're like, I can't fall apart at the end because then I won't finish. And I might get pulled again at mile 46, which would just be devastating. So the whole time you're chasing your time goal. That's okay. I, I would have had to keep walking anyway to the finish line because my phone was dead because of that stupid hat. <laughs> I love that hat. Travis, I'm hating on it. So, so we get off at uh, the canal and when you get off at the canal, you are so happy because you're no longer yes. on the flat. And for somebody like us, we did our best runs for our hill work days. Mm -hmm. We love hills. We live in a hilly area. Um, we thrive on hills and this is rolling hills. What was it like when you got off and you knew what your time was? Mm. It was it dark? Yeah, I didn't get to see the dam. I heard it. You heard the goddamn. Yeah, I didn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's dark. So they give you the vest of shame. They didn't make me wear one. It's not so a vest of shame. They call it the vest of shame. And for the record, for the yeah. record, I thought it said that they give you the vest of shame at three thirty, and I came off damn four, like well before three. And just just before three, and I got the vest of shame, so I was like, "This sucks," and because I'm little on the top, it's huge on me, and it's falling off my shoulder, and I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> so I was still in the daylight, so you're coming through in the dark, which is a whole other thing because I hear that hardball rule, the hard hardball, uh, the last eight, it, eight plus is very dark. Yeah, it is dark, and it's my biggest thing was not getting hit by cars. Yeah, they close off part of that road, the first part, I thought. The time I went through there, both sides was pretty much open. You know, by the time you go through, let's just talk about that. The aid station food is not is kind of been picked over, yeah. and the traffic is opened up, and yeah. people seem to have online this thing about finishing in the daylight, and I had a friend who had that goal, and I was so excited to see him hit that goal, because that was a major PR for him. Um, but I heard a lot of other people saying, I'd love to see what the finish line looks at in, like in the daylight. And the only concept I have is in the dark when I saw you finish last mm -hmm. year. And I thought that was the most magical thing to finish at the dark. When these people have been out there gritting it out on that last, the, the, that last stretch in the dark by themselves in their own thoughts, there's no sunlight, anything that to me is the most beast thing. So the people who come in later are just like, I'm not worthy. You guys are amazing. Um, and you've been through that every single time. Yeah. 
I, I would like to see it in the daytime once. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the daytime, um, I found that when I got on that, um, I, I stopped the intervals. I walked the first hill, and I walked a couple of the gradual hills, but I just ran. I just, for some reason, I had my wings, and I was, and I knew, but I knew I was chasing that goal of going sub 10, and I was like, at this point, you start knocking, so you get off on. When, when did that goal come up? I'm just curious. Like, when did, was during the race you decided a sub 10 was possible, or had that been on your mind the whole time? Um, I had... No, it had not been on my mind. I honestly went, I remember hearing the thing go off when I was on the Appalachian Trail and it was like, you're doing 12 minute miles. And usually I'm like 10 and a half or even nine and a half minute miles up there. And, and I was like, you're doing 12 minute miles and you're going to finish in this time. And I'm like, and I kept laughing at it as people would hear it around me. I'd be like, yeah, right. Good luck if I finish in that time. And those times were like 11 hours and 12 hours. And I was like, ain't no way. Cause I didn't know how well I was going to perform. And I didn't know what my body was going to do. If it was going to fall apart. So I had no concept. I had no, um, I had no goals. About halfway through the race, close to Antietam, or right, right after Antietam, when I started hearing the race app tick off, I was like, oh crap, I know, I have plenty of time to make up that time if I just go a little bit faster each mile. And then I started getting tactical with it. Like I do this in some of my runs too. And I've, Something I, it's a skill I never used to have until I just got used to knowing my yeah. times. And so, yeah, when I came in, so the two spectator spots on the course were in Tedum and Taylor's Landing. And I'm coming into Taylor's Landing knowing, by the time I hit Taylor's Landing, I knew it was my goal. And poor Kevin has spent all of this time getting all the stuff off of his back, setting up a chair, <laughs> setting up gummy bears and fueling and Two of my best friends are on the other side of the of, of the of the road, and they're just like, "Hey, we're cheering you on." And I roll in there, and Kevin's all ready for me to take a rest, and I'm like, "No, gotta go." I'm like in and out, because <laughs> my coach told me don't spend too much time at rest stations at, at the rest stops. But it was okay. I was the aid I was stations. prepared, but if you wanted anything, it was there, so it wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah, but I rolled in, and I was like, and I think you knew, and and I think I told you something that I could that I could go sub ten. But at that point, I didn't know how serious it would get. I'm just gonna, I was just like, let me just see how fast I can get. Um. So, so yeah, I I just decided to chase it, and it really helped me to have that goal in mind. Um. You know, when I was getting off the canal, and I ran into my friend getting off of the canal who was chasing his his goal of hitting the, the finish line before the sun went down. And I thought, oh, how perfect. And I was so worried that I was going to annoy him. And we just started talking a little bit and we were running together. We would walk together and it made sense. And I said to him at one point, I said, Chris, are we going to hit, are we going to hit sub 10? And he, he, he's like, I don't know. I know how long it takes me to run this section because I've run it before many times and, and he, this is his third JFK. And he's like, um, I think, I, I think we might, but I'll, we'll just, anything can happen. And I was like, okay, that made me push a little harder because I was like, well, if he, is he doubting it? I don't know if we're actually going to do it. And so when it came down to it, uh, I just started, then I started moving and then I started, uh, taking souls that's really when i started taking souls i was not by any means going faster she means passing people <laughs> well, I was pass yeah and i was like and, and not intentionally passing people to pass people but i would set a target and i would go my coach told me the night before he was like 
don't stop yourself on the downhills. And he said that on the Appalachian Trail too. He's like, it's okay to go to go on the downhills and just keep it smooth. So I thought of his words as I'm going in the last couple of miles and there's a couple of really good downhills and he's mm-hmm. like, let yourself coast. And so I saw people ahead of me and I'd just be like, do it. And by that time, people are so damn tired. Some are really super strong out there. Some just want to walk, but the people that drive around me, we were down to go. We were going, my friend Chris was going. He was, he's an Iron Man. So he was like, let's, let's do this. And he was beasting out. Um, so we just did it. And that was a weird feeling because when you start counting down, when you get off the dam, the race starts counting down the last miles. It goes yeah. eight, seven, six, all the way down. And some people like that. I've heard some people don't. I was watching some videos. I loved it because by the time I hit six, I was like, ain't nothing but a 10K. And then I hit three and I was like, ain't nothing but a 5K. And, and that's when, for me, my legs had been running almost 50 miles, but it truly felt like I was in a 5K race. It was a weird thing that happened in my mind when you've been running that long and you know you only got that much left. You get some wind in your sails. Well, you know, it's okay to empty the tank out. Yeah. Does, has that happened to you? Oh, no. I'm not as fast as you. <laughs> Hold on. Let's, let's give credit where credit is due, though, because your, your fastest marathon time is way faster than my marathon time, yeah. and your fastest half marathon time is fast, way faster than my half. Yeah. So don't act like you've, you've never known that before. It was a long time ago. It, it was not a long time ago. It was a few years ago. It was not a long time ago. You were in your 40s. Yeah. And you're still in your 40s, maybe 80s. I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah, it's so – but I don't mean to just – that that was my experience. Mm-hmm. I expected to be in a world of hurt, and it turns out that when you try something, sometimes, anything could have gone wrong that could have changed my day, <laughs> and I never took that stuff for granted. Every time that it felt good, I know it only felt good in that moment because I've been in plenty of races where I feel good one moment and the next I'm crashing. It can change very quick. And 50 miles is a long time to have to endure. Oh, it is. Anything can happen. And so, um, so yeah, so I'm rolling through that last bit. And my friend Rachel, the same one who gave me the advice of running the five to one, she's like, You'll feel good when you hit the hardball. And um, our friend Simon also wrote me uh, a message on Facebook the night before. And he's like, you'll feel good when you hit the hardball. Just go. Mm-hmm. And I felt good when I hit it. And so we just started rolling and I started ticking those miles down. And I hit eight stations and, uh, and you know, took a little bit of fueling. And I just kept going. And then when it was time to kick it in, I was like, enjoy every minute you can because it's about to end. You know, you're out there on an entire day and then before you know it, it's about to end. And I took a second to reflect on everything in the last year. I took a second to break down a little bit. I took a second to be thankful. I took a second to pray. I I took all these like milliseconds to enjoy every minute Mm -hmm. and savor every minute. And Mm -hmm. I thought of you and I thought of you I wonder what it would be like if he knew, if he knew that I'm about to finish because he's never going to believe I'm going to finish like this. Well, I asked, I think Jamie said she's going to go sub 10, isn't she? Uh, really? Yeah. And when I saw the clock, I knew in my head the number it was going to be in the clock. I visualized mm-hmm. it well several miles before I hit it, even before I hit the hardball. I knew the time it was going to be. I don't know why, but I was like, I'm going to hit that. 
And when I kicked it in, I heard the announcers. The sun was not down. The sun was just starting mm-hmm. to go down. It was about halfway down. And I came up into the chute, and every time I ran, I imagined that chute, but I could never connect in my brain the miles before the shoot. And that's why I could never believe that I could actually do it. In all of the races, I've been able to visualize the whole course. I could never, even though I'd been on the course, I could never see myself doing it. So I come in, I come into the finish and it's so surreal. And I look at the clock and the clock is the exact time that I had in my head, which is nine mm-hmm. hours and 48 minutes. And it was surreal to have such a good race and I think it's because I was conservative and I was strong. It, cons- being conservative helped me stay strong. Yeah, makes sense. And I came into the race, shoot, and nobody was there because I went faster than they expected. And that, to me, was the best compliment. <laughs> faster than projected. Because I was ready. You were just five minutes early. You saw me shot. starting starting to take souls a little bit. You were no, like no, I picking left. off. You ran me off at mile three point <laughs> eight five or so. Yeah, because I hung out right from four to three point eight five, and I was like, you know, really embrace this. You've earned. You've you've worked so hard for this experience. Really savor these last thirty minutes, whatever you were going to run that in. And I was like, pass people. Use your energy. Blow it out in the last two miles. Mm-hmm. Really, just take people down. And so I, I, I was headed to the finish line to cheer for, and I bumped into Bacon. So he, me and him were BSing for a few minutes, talking about how it was looking and everything. And then I went to the finish line. I'm like, oh, shit, I better get the, go get the guide on. But we had to park so far from the finish line. I rolled over there, locked up the bike, did everything this was supposed to do, changed the backpack out, made sure I only had jackets, not a bunch of other crap I had to carry to bring it back to you. And then get the guide on, but the guide on is kind of wacky to carry plus i just finished cycling 26 miles with 25 pounds in my pack so i smoked so i walked back to the finish line just to find you in the parking lot going kevin i'm like oh shit i missed it i freaking missed the finish line and to me it was perfect so if anybody knows me and kevin we have these perfectly imperfect moments in our life together our our life has dotted with these it happens to us all the time. It happened to us with the way we were engaged. It happened to us with the way we were married. And things don't always go to plan uh, as as planned. And they become the most beautiful things. And in that moment, immediately, it didn't even cross my mind that, that you weren't there yet. Immediately, my first thought was, I exceeded his expectations. Totally and that made good. me feel so proud. And I was like, I cannot wait to tell him when I see him. And then my next thought was, Travis is never going to believe this. He's going to, it's going to be so cool. I thought, and I looked at my watch, I had a six minute window. Like I knew once I got to the finish line, they would, you'd come in in the next six minutes. And the fact that you've been there for two or three already just means that you were that much faster than your original pace. And do you have the data on your last three miles? I want to know what you, how different they were from your ready regular miles. They were a little bit faster, but it's hard to tell because there were a couple spots where I went to aid stations. So if you look at my miles, my slowest miles are aid stations, in, including the last couple of ones because they're very close together. So I think they were faster than my other average miles. There were no, by no means fast, you know, with comparison of how fast I can run, mm-hmm. but, um, they were, I had a faster I'm going second to your half. data right now. 
Jason. No, no, I had I had a faster second run, but um, second half. But I had seen so much suffering out there on the trail, and I had seen so much camaraderie from people, and I had felt nothing but love all day. There is no competitiveness that I feel where I'm at in the pack. Maybe it exists. Not an ultra. I felt nothing but love. I felt love from people I had never met before who didn't know me. I felt love from this community that I had discovered on mm. Facebook. I felt love from you and all the support that you had given me the entire year. I felt nothing but warmth. I could not recommend this more, this specific race, more to th- than any other one that I've done other than, say, Ragnar, where you feel this family vibe. It is something I can't even describe. It was amazing. You're definitely in the JFK family. And I finished. And I did something I never thought I would do. And then just like that, a year of worry and stress and self-doubt and fighting it constantly and stuffing it down and being a pain in the ass to to Kevin and to you and to just self-isolating, it it disappeared. And, And it was so amazing because the high that it left me with I slept one hour last night. I'm still not tired. I don't want to sleep because I don't want to waste the time that I could be feeling this way. It's only a way. It's, it's in you now. So I shared the end of my race story. Oh, I'm sorry. Just just a heads up. Just, They're not fast miles. But to me, I felt like I was flying. 10-12, 9-54, 10-26, and 10-12. That's with aid stations. That, that, I stopped in aid stations, and that's with that's walking. That's mile 46, 47, 48, yeah. 49. And that's with walking and a, um, that's with walking a little bit. You are a bad MF. No. No. Talk to people it's like 50, Mario. 50, Mario's a bad MF. 50 miles. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. No, okay. it's not. But I, but I have to tell you, I am proud of... I don't think I could have done any better. I don't want to do any better. I'm proud. So awesome. So Travis, I want to hear about the end of your race because you know, and it's, 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 it's funny because we stuck together all year and for all the grit that you had, you're the one who's, who's deserves the most to feel good in this race. You had a tough day. It was a tough day, but like I said, I mean, that's part of running. It's just, that last eight miles was just, all right, just try to stay on course and get it done. And it was mostly walking, walking fast, but I would try to run a little bit, but back one concrete again, that wasn't going so well. I feel like it, I don't want to sound cheesy, but it parallels everything that you've been through with your recovery. It does. You're never running through recovery. It's a step at a time. Yeah. It's a day at a time. Yeah, I just kept imagining getting pulled off the course at 46 that one year. Isn't it amazing that that's what you worry about these days? Yeah. Ten years ago, when you hit your 10-year sobriety, you were worried about being on full-time disability. You were worried about being told by doctors that you would never be able to walk unassisted, certainly not run, that you should just resign yourself to laying around all day. Pretty much. Being in pain all day. But as hard as that JFK was last night, that's probably my most favorite. Was it? Because it was so hard. You like it when it gets... What do we do when it gets hard? Well, it's not... It's not that. It's just I had to work. 
I had to grind it out, and I showed myself that I can still do that. Sometimes you start. Was there ever any doubt? When I was sitting in my 27, there was plenty of doubt. I, I was like, man, I can just quit and go still see Jenny cross the finish line. And I was worried about that. It was, And I told you, we actually had this conversation before the race started. I said, don't you dare do that. Don't you do that. And I said, I, I said, I will respect you. You know I've got you. Whether you finish this or you don't finish it, I don't care. But don't you quit early for the sake of seeing me finish. Because we did, we're in this together. But at the end of the day, we done what we said we was going to do a year ago. We both finished it. Tell me about that finish. My finish? Yeah, tell me about it. Um, I didn't think you were coming, bro. <laughs> I didn't think I was coming. Let me set it up, okay? So you paint the picture. It's dark. The finish line. There are these two MCs that just run their mouths the entire time. And they were funny. <laughs> they were funny. So they good. They were clever. They had it going on. But they were like, okay, we can see four more people on approach. It's probably a little under a half mile approach, straight line that you could see people come up over a hill. And you see his headlamps. I'm like, is that him? It looks like his cadence. It looks like his size. No, that's somebody smaller. No, they were wearing green pants or whatever. So we couldn't tell it was you, but they kept saying how many people were left on the course and how much time was left. We knew who had been pulled and how many people were still left out there. We didn't know who, we did not know who had been pulled. We just knew that 50 people had not made it through. Right. They said how they said that a number of people had been pulled. So as soon as I came in and, and I saw Kevin, we, we just like I did last year with you, we stayed for uh, the remaining hours watching runners come in and cheering every runner that mm -hmm. came in. And so it started getting thinner and thinner and thinner and we started seeing fewer headlamps coming and it, it, I thought your phone died. If you were pulled, you would have no way of getting a hold of us. Bro, this is going to sound wrong. Okay. <laughs> and it's not wrong because you finished a 50 mile race that it can be said with a period at the end, but they were like, there's three more people on course. And I'm like, Dude, <laughs> he does this every year. I, I he does this every year. It makes me crazy. 10 to 13 minutes away from the end of the race. And, I was, and you weren't wearing your headlamp. That was a thing. No, no, you did have your yeah, headlamp on. But the thing was, we just couldn't tell it was you. But I was like, I, I don't know what we do now. We don't know where Travis is. We don't know how he's being transported. In my mind, we had to do some sort of some recall. Rescue, <laughs> a rescue mission. But... Dude, you pulled it off. So what was it like on that final stretch? When I turned the corner and I, I seen the same last year, I seen them lights. I was like, that must be heaven. Because <laughs> they're so bright. is that you? <laughs> I'm like, I'm coming. <laughs> and at that point, I didn't know the mom and them was there because I told Steve, I was like, I don't know what to tell them. I mean, I don't know if I'm going to finish this or not. And that was clean up the – I seen Steve at mile 42, damn four, because he showed up there in case I didn't – didn't make it. And I was like, well, I'll squeak by that one. I'm going to keep going. And then he kind of kept in contact with me for the rest of the race, but I didn't know mom and them was up there. But it was nice to see that light. I was ready to be done. That's why I say I have the most respect for the people who are coming in the late hours because they've been out there for so much longer. And you live a whole lifetime in, in, in the miles that you're out there because you're out there for so long. You meet different people. You see the people that you love. I told one runner out there, I said, it's like maybe I died on course. 
and I'm trying to get into heaven and I'm seeing all the people that I love in my life who are on the course, who are saying hello and cheering me on. Oh, this is the the crap that goes through your head. When you have no headphones to listen to, you start making up cadences in your head and you start repeating things and you start playing games and you start thinking of that. I'm like, and I start, you know, waxing all philosophically about what, what has just happened to me in this day. And I'm like, God, are you up there? <laughs> and, and so when you see those lights, you're like, you going to let me in? Are we going to kick me off the course? Because odds are I'm going to get kicked off the course. And it's so funny. You're saying something similar along the same lines. And you're like, and but your family, you have the most supportive family. All of them are out there. And I went looking for them, and I didn't see them yet because they hadn't gotten there yet. They were all out there just like they were last year in full force. It was awesome. Nuts. They are nuts. That's great. I mean, they're they're just they they love you. You should. I felt really bad the year they was all up there, and I got pulled at mile forty six, and I just went home. Oh, I didn't know they was all up there. And he came back. <laughs> he came back again and again and again. So now you finished the JFK fifty point two twice Mm -hmm. you've done it five years i consider you doing it five i don't care if you finish those other years because you came damn close and that grit that it takes to come decide that i'm gonna come back and then to bring your friends into that misery you son of a bitch (laughs) 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 dropping the challenges in that dojo (laughs) kevin kevin in the beginning of this journey said travis oh he warned me travis enjoy this you know she's a handful <laughs> um said you're in it now <laughs> you're in it now uh travis did a great job i'll never forget the first time that we ran up um we were up at weaverton cliffs and travis didn't know me as a trail runner yet because we were just still newly friends and and i got away from him and he got scared because he didn't know where i was and he didn't know if i had fallen and he couldn't see me and i'm sure all he's thinking of is i'm responsible to kevin well, and he became a Travis is a dad and a grandfather, so he became a dad. He literally, we got to Weaverton Cliffs, and I'm sitting on the cliffs. And You're he's just chilling. And he's sitting there panicked, panicked. Like, where did you go? Like, I think of those days when. Well, congratulations, we're... Cheryl. You don't know what kind of creeps are up there. <laughs> and you didn't know my abilities as a runner yet. But I think of those days from that until the end of our journey where we are unfortunately we had to be completely separate i would have loved to be able to run with you but that we trusted each other and in yeah. the end we knew without a doubt we all we both had faith even in those last minutes where i was like see that last runner up there i never lost faith that you would finish just like last year i never had i, I never lost any faith that you would finish and i knew i told you i could visualize you crossing the finish line every time i visualized myself crossing the finish line this year i saw you there too so I knew you were going to do it. We got it done. We got it done, Team DJ. <laughs> and, and took a little while, but... And, and Travis is like, Kevin, you can have her back. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> but it's been great because I can truly say that you've become one of my best friends in the last year. We've been oh. through, uh, truly, through highs and lows. You've seen me at my worst. I've never really seen you at your worst, but you've seen me at tantrums. You've seen me... Like you've seen me... Drama where- Jenny was being a little too aggro. We had drama. We actually had an we had a couple of arguments, uh, which is which is Travis is non-confrontational completely. 
and he would say something and I'd just be like, fine, whatever. <laughs> He's like, you know, when we would have trouble uh, figuring out what trail we would go to, just <sighs> dork dork ass conversations that runners have. I would be like, why even ask? Just tell me where we're going and what time we're leaving. <laughs> He's like, you're going to get your way anyway. You always do. And then I heard like, like without you saying it, princess. <laughs> that is too funny. Um, and, and, you know, just me always being cold. You having to have the Jeep heat on full blast every time you went out for a run, being miserable and hot all the time while I'm freezing cold, Uh, uh, seeing every single season up on that Appalachian Trail, um, the frosty, that first overlook Mm -hmm. once you drop back in from the fire road, and all a glaze of ice on all of the trees, to crunchy leaves, to spring, to every single flower that grew because I had heat on it (laughs) (laughs) to to summer and the hundred degree day that we were out there running our section and we sat out under the bridge. Mm -hmm. And I told you that when I, that day I had to go out on the canal for a couple of miles and I just sat in, in the river. I just sat in the river with all of my clothes on and just was hundred degrees. It was a hot one. And, and then, you know, the, the days where it was blustering cold and the wind was in our faces and it was raining, uh, sleeting rain while we were riding our bikes because we were like, well, who else is out here doing the work? We are because we know it's worth it. Mm-hmm. The grit that it took every single day to follow the plan and do it and know and have faith that even if we did it, everything could fall apart. But doing it anyway, those are the experiences I will never forget. That's where you get your grit for the races. What you do in training. What's your favorite experience last year? I don't have a favorite. What's your most memorable experience that you think? Um, Seneca Creek and you wrapping the vanilla ice on the way home. <laughs> I just didn't know. Seneca, <laughs> that's, that's, he had no idea that yeah. I, I'm a rapper. No, it's, it's all been great. Yeah, and that that day that you, I discovered that when you sneeze, you sneeze thirty times in a row over the course of two hours, <laughs> very long drawn out sneezes, uh, falling on course, getting completely muddy at blue at Bull Run, and taking complete wipeouts in front of strangers who do nothing to help you. But four minutes run. into your run, four minutes into your run, sliding out and just just fully. Who saw that? You know, um, there were been some of the most memorable days. The food, um, gummy bears, gummy bears, nachos, nachos, and you know, through all of it, and COVID, and wearing masks everywhere, and through all of it, we've made it through. And I have to say that I'm pretty proud that we both we did this. We did. And so, what's next? What's next? Two hundred eighteen miles in thirty days. We're gonna do that. We're gonna do the um, that is the Desert Storm. A challenge that's being put out by the Marine Corps Marathon, but what's our next big goal? Highland Sky. Highland Sky, 40-miler. That was uh, canceled. And by the way, all the damn races that were canceled this year deferred to next year, so we got all of next year. Yep, so we're excited for another year, but right now, we are excited to take a break. I'm excited to go get these nachos. And go get nachos. I have a question before you wrap this up. Yeah. Because you're inevitably going to get this, both of you. People are going to say they want that unique experience of completing a 50-miler or a marathon. They're going to say, Travis, I want your answer first. 
how did you do it? What is your routine? Um, just commitment and just training. I mean, I learned a lot from Coach David, just the training that it takes to do it. And like this year, and accepting when you get hurt. If your body can't go, find something else to do till it can go. Like but from your a life. level of commitment, though, from your point of view, if you could rate it from one being super low to 100 of a rating, how committed were you? Like how much time did you put into this per week average for a year? And then, again, one to 100, how serious is it? It's definitely, I mean, it, it was the most important thing to me, really, outside of work. I mean, that was, in other than work, that's what I did. I lived, lived this race. So how many hours a week? Up until, before I got hurt, we was running every day, so. At least an I hour mean, four every five, day when we Yeah, running. four or five on the weekends on a Saturday, mm -hmm. then a, a light went on. And we was hitting 70, 75 miles a week, every week. So then when I got one to a hundred outside of work, what do you think your commitment level was? I would say 90. 90. So 90% 90 committed to doing potentially 11 hours of work with five more hours of logistics around that. So yeah. 16 hours a week at a 90% commitment level. Yeah. Okay. Jenny, what about you? I commit everything. Okay, so. I'm an all in. All in. So when you ask about hours in the day, yeah, what Travis said for the actual time that we're training, but it's not just when I'm running. When I'm not running, I'm thinking about what I'm eating. I'm thinking about what I'm doing for mobility. I'm thinking about what I'm doing to keep myself healthy and Hold on, let's go back to mobility. So approximately how many hours per week do you think you committed just to mobility? Um, just to, I wanna give people perspective because it's really easy to be flippant about training when it's so global and you guys kind of skim across the top of see, the true time. I would think effort. with me, that's where I lost the 10% at where she was doing the yoga and all the right things. I mean, I was doing the running and living the running, but I skimped on the little details of no, what you got to do. No, but as far as you were concerned, as far as your scope of what you wanted to commit to it, you were 90% for that amount of time. Yeah. Based on who you are. Right. Just the fact that she engaged with yoga, um, tertiary elements like uh, structural elements, mm -hmm. uh, adjusting nutrition. You know, she, she dabbled in testing probably 15 different sets of gear and outfits and 65 shoes. pairs of shoes 65 for pairs real of shoes like a lot of shoes she tried <laughs> and i guess i kind of i want people to understand that from what from you guys that it seems like you you it doesn't seem like you're living and breathing it because you have jobs you have pets you have family you have obligations you have downtime you have sleep but when somebody just kind of casually asks, "Oh my God, I want to do what you did," what was what did you do? What, what was where did what was your routine? People need to know that it was it was your whole life. It was your whole life besides work, 
you you go mm-hmm. you have to you have to be willing to go all in. Are there people successful who don't go on? He absolutely. There's a ton of people who are successful, but it's not easy for us, and it never has been, and it doesn't come naturally to us. But we also have that personality where we go all in. It's part of the addictive personality, to be honest with you. Um, it's the way I was when I approach hard goals. I go all in because that's the only way that I can ensure success. When I went to college on my own dime, I had to be the top person in St. John's and, and university. And I was because that's what you do. It is no different. It's the same formula that I followed here. Um, running is life. And the unfortunate thing is you can't balance everything. It, you can't do it all. Something will fall by the wayside and relationships can be very hard. And I think for, for you and me, Kevin, it was, it was a challenge because everything that you did and I did revolved around my schedule and holding to this commitment because you knew that I was going to give it a shot, that I was going to go all in. And it's not just for the 50 miles. It's not just for the hours that it takes to run this race in one day. Really where I was at is, I want to see what I can do with my body throughout the entire year. How strong can I become? Because it, I never knew. I never knew how I could be, but running is life. And when I say running is life, it is every waking moment. You're thinking about how can I improve and be the best that I can be at this? It's watching endless YouTube videos. It's doing endless mobility hours a week. It is, it is looking at what you're eating. It's working on sleeping, knowing that that's the only time your body is repairing on your rest days. It's truly embracing your rest days and knowing you're repairing, but also at the same time, doing other things that are building up your running. It is every aspect of your life that you can throw all in to doing something as if you are a professional athlete. That is the way that I approach it. Yes, I have a full-time job. And I would have to turn it off while I would work during the day, but then I'd go right back to it. And, and that was hard. That was hard. And because I commit so heavily and because we committed together, people don't understand that level of commitment. I have the luxury of having that level of commitment because I don't have children, but I'll tell you what, my full-time job is a beast and you know, it is Kevin. Yes, it is. You're very involved. And, and so we had multiple people question you. Let's talk about that. They never questioned me, but they questioned you about my relationship with Travis, about the time I was spending on this. Not one person came to talk to me about it, but we had plenty of people question it. And that put a strain on us as well, because I felt like at a certain point, I didn't have anybody who trusted me. And that was really, that broke me down. And that made me go more inward to myself. It made me just focus so much more heavily on that and less on people that I felt like I don't know if I can trust them because nobody's coming to me to, to ask about this. And nobody truly knows my level of commitment to, to things like this. This is in my personality. I have done this my entire life. If you talk to my parents, they will tell you, this is what I do. And that was the hardest part of it to know how much you were supporting me, but to not be able to convey to people how much I appreciated you for all of it. Well, Even you. That's nice. The, um, uh, 
I, I guess that was a lot for what I was trying to get at. But basically, the no, it was good. It was a good answer. What I'm saying is, I'm trying to digest it. It is, you make it look easy, Jimmy. And if I have the ability in this, in this podcast to show your video of you running, you were so gracious out there. You were, your form never broke. And I'm hypercritical. I, I will watch it and I'll help you if, if, but you really, really, really worked. And I want to say you probably put 30 hours a week of exclusive thought, effort, stretching, mobility, nutrition, uh, analyzing socks, analyzing winter hats, analyzing winter gloves, which gloves, which vest, which shoe. Honestly, I think she cycled 30 pairs of more shoes through this house determining which was the right brand it, it it was it's it's sports bras it's it's anti-chafing stuff because i don't have a lot of issues with that it's the right level of compression pants it's shorts it's every possible thing you can think of that that some people don't take for granted and and they 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 don't overthink but if i could simplify this a little bit because i don't mean for it to sound so difficult that nobody would want to try it it's rhythms and routines Mm-hmm. Every Monday, I had a schedule. Every Tuesday, I knew I was running speed. Every Wednesday, I had an easy day. Every Thursday, I ran speed. Every Friday, I had an easy day. Every Saturday, I ran distance. And every Sunday, I ran just a couple of miles, and it was mostly recovery. I knew that that was my basic running schedule. And every day, I approached it because I, I had a schedule that I followed. Rhythms and routines. You get into a rhythm of things, you're used to it. And then the other stuff, the tertiary stuff of, of really finding the gear, that's the fun part. That's what training is for. It's for testing all of those things. And that is all of that training was how I was able to get through 50 miles and be consistent and feel good and take souls in the last eight miles because I did all of that training. Can you do it without there? Hell yes. That, that Hell yes. So many people do, but if you do, if you put the time in, you might actually exceed your own expectations. Well, I think what I think what people would ask, or the reason why they want to ask, it's not, did you do it and limp across the finish line and be sore for four or five days and have lingering injuries or wear and tear on your body? I think what people would be asking is, how do I do it the way you did it to make it look so easy? Because you had what I would define as as perfect a race as imaginable. It was. And and I, I look back at it because I get to just to watch. I get to ride a bicycle on the course and see how you're doing. And and it, it all came down to how high a level of dedication and commitment that you, you put into yourself and to Travis that you didn't let anything get at you you didn't let anything get in the way you did not miss i don't think any runs over the course of a year and yeah that has that puts stress on relationships it puts stress on your jobs puts stress on on your body and um, those are the true costs is the wear and tear of that level of commitment but what a great outcome i mean you, you ran sub 10 which i didn't know we were aiming for i thought we were aiming for mid-11s low 11s so the fact that we were an hour ahead of schedule is kind of blowing my mind but that's incredible but if i might give you the opposite of that 
just to, just a counterpoint what you just said yes the stress of all of that and what you go through um i have a high stress job i i you know this about me that i i have a hard time separating myself from my work and you're you you sometimes suffer from that because you see me always stressed out um yes there's stress from the body on running but running is also the outlet um, most people have busy lives. We're all freaking busy. People who have kids, they all have excuses. They have, I, I have 10,000 things I've got to do in a day. How can a, a person like who do, do it like me? Yes, I do have a lot of conveniences in my life that make it a little easier for me to do it, but I also don't make excuses ever. I show up to do the work always. There is never an exception. I don't quit. I'm all in. So if you want to sit around all day and say, I have no time, but you have time to sit in front of your TV at night when you could be going out for a night run, that's an excuse to me. In the morning, I get up early and I run. I have the time to run, but if I didn't have the time to run, I'd run late. That's what Travis did. And Travis wakes up at 4 a.m. every morning, drives to Pennsylvania, before COVID, I was driving two and a half hours a day in traffic for my job, and we're still getting it done. Sometimes we're out there running at nine o'clock at night. Running at nine o'clock at night, but I think I'll, in in this day, yeah, I I understand that I have I I I have a I don't have I guess I'm getting to children. I don't have children. Okay, that takes up a lot of your time, but. I also don't make excuses. You, you don't have to make an excuse for not making excuses, Jenny. Yeah. So, so I, but I, but I think that what what makes the formula work though when we don't feel like getting up and moving, having a drive, because that's why Bros and Bras is magical. Because you don't feel like going out. There's always somebody else who's going to meet you. Before I was doing this, Fiona would meet me at the crack of dawn when it's pitch black out, and we would run together. Travis would meet me nine o'clock at night. And we would do hill repeats together because I didn't have an excuse. So, and he let me, he let, he, he didn't, he didn't let me have an excuse and he made me accountable. So if you're having a hard time committing to things and if you're somebody who needs a plan to follow it like I do, um, but you're afraid that you'll be short lived and life will get in the way and you'll say, well, I just couldn't do it or I got injured. And so I gave up on it. Um, find an accountability, find a, find a piece of accountability your children, your health, um, you know, a medical scare, uh, you know, a person there waiting for you. And I trust me on this, it will become so much easier. Anything to add, Travis? Yeah, I believe she touched on about all that. Good. You guys answered the, uh, that was the only question that I was prepared for that wasn't answered earlier. So anything else you guys want to say? Anything we didn't cover? He's proud. JOK <laughs> 50 finishers. And thank you for giving us the time in this forum to talk. Uh, the whole year, we didn't get to a lot of our episodes, and that's okay. COVID took over, and life took over. Excuses, but um, <laughs> but it's, I think, we mission accomplished. We wanted nice. to get across what we wanted to get across, yeah. and, and we're here for the long haul. We don't do anything half-assed. And... Uh, do it with minutes to go. <laughs> he does so it every dramatic. time. So dramatic. I, I could not believe. It. And finally, it was you coming in. Finally. Awesome. So, I appreciate you guys hanging out there waiting on me. I mean, that's a long time just course, to stand Travis. around and wait. 
Travis has become like a member of our family this year. It's been wonderful to get to know you and to, to have you as our dear friend. And I appreciate um, both of you guys. Yeah. Our dogs appreciate you too. Travis is basically an MLB level pitcher um, <laughs> and throws ball for them. <laughs> and uh, he's a very good baseball player back in the day and, and they love that. But um, as per, per, as per tradition, We've talked about this before. Anytime that Travis and I run at least 26 miles, we go get B-dubs and we get ultimate nachos. And so right now we're about to get our first of second of two visits yes. to Buffalo Wild Wings to get our nachos. We with, get two visits because we did it twice. With everything on the side. With everything on the side because <laughs> Travis is a freak when he eats. All right. One more shot. Well, that's awesome. I um, just before you take your shot. <laughs> I have to be clear in saying that I screwed up the video of this, so I will describe what you guys are doing because I just wasn't prepared enough. And Is that I not realized, taking video? I realized one of the cameras was taking a sideways video the entire time. <laughs> no, so, no. So Jenny well, okay. sideways, and so this one was just audio. So what they're going to do is they're about to take a uh, a shot of is that fireball. Mm-hmm. Shot fireball to you. Uh, we had a parade, yes. real quick. We had a we had a surprise parade today. Bros and Bras had a car parade where they put fl ginormous flags, Bros and Bras flags, all over their cars, and they had this convoy, and they had signs <laughs> where they came through to congratulate Travis and I, and it was all a surprise, and we have it on video, and we'll share that. So the fireball is from Jamie Haddon, our girl, who uh, who I've had a couple long nights, bad long nights with, good long nights with. And so this is cheers to her, cheers to Kevin, cheers to every single person who is out there supporting us. Those 50 miles are run by us, but we couldn't mm -hmm. do them without the and rest of you. Volunteers and police officers. Volunteers, police officers, the JFK 50. You guys killed it. Thank you. Thank you for giving us this experience in such a tough year. Cheers. Well, congratulations, guys. That was another awesome Thank Runners you. podcast. Hmm. All right. Signing off. Great job. Thank you. Thank you. Today's intro song is called Mean in a Good Way. It's written and performed by Peter Clark off of his album, Peter Clark After Dark. Peter, <laughs> Peter describes this song as being the best song to learn hula hooping to. Peter is an avid hooper and recently started a hula hoop repair business. If you ever need hula hoop repair, consider contacting Peter. You can reach him on SoundCloud. Just search Peter Clark After Dark.